And remember that we are not descended from fearful men. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Five, four, three. The Kellen and Alex Show. Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The Kellen and Alex Show. Steve. Welcome to the podcast, bro. Oh, thanks for having me. That was a quick little. That was our quick intro. That was our quick intro. <laughs> Yesterday we had uh, Dr. Dom on, and I was like, "Yep." And Steve's coming on the podcast. He's like, "Oh yeah, I'm everybody Steve. knows Steve." <laughs> really? Everybody knows Steve. Uh, Steve, you are a fellow grad student with me uh, in theology, and also from California originally. Yes, I was unfortunately born in Fresno, California. Fresno. Yes. So anybody who is from Fresno or who has heard of Fresno will not take that as me being offensive. They will be like, oh, okay. I actually met some people from like a war-torn country in, in it was like, well, maybe it was like Argentina or something. During one of the soccer games, they're like, where are you from? I was like, Fresno, California. Like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> like you're, 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 your country's being attacked by like rebels and my city's worse than that. And so- yeah, fun place. I've been. But, to, uh, I don't mind Fresno. I don't think it's too. It's too bad. It, it, it's hit or miss, and, and it's hit or miss. Yeah, I think it's just such a, a nasty part of me. You know, maybe it's myself deep down that I'm hating. Really, you know, maybe the you should call Doctor Phil and, and ask know. him. It's not too far for, from for me. California so. stops past Los Angeles, and then you yeah. guys are just the NorCal, Central Cal, whatever guys up there. Okay. I, guys, I don't even. From, I'm from. Uh, you know where Grass Valley is. You Sacramento. I'm just like northeast of Sacramento. Oh, so you're from north, north. Yeah, California. I'm from like um, in between Tahoe and Sacramento. Okay. Yeah. See, I don't know any of California's geography until I moved south of where I lived. And then I realized <laughs> Oakland is nowhere near Los Angeles and San Diego is nowhere near Sacramento. I was just like, <laughs> the whole time I was like, it's just not from where I am. And so, right. uh, yeah. And you lived in LA stories. for a little while. Once again, yeah. sorry about so that. So we, we can... I guess I could just recap my my whole life. Con- we'll just start at conception. Please. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll move from there. Hell yeah. Conception, <laughs> early childhood. Conceived out of wedlock. Uh, my uh, parents- Could you move a little closer to the mic, sorry? Yeah, yeah. I was conceived out of wedlock. <laughs> Come on, Alex. <laughs> you, you, you only wanted I, that me was, to say that. That was bad timing. Make out with it, please. That was just to expose my, my poor lineage. No. Uh, my parents, they met in a grocery store. They both worked there together. Uh, they They hooked up, as you say, and then I was the result. And I do think that that's important just in light of everything lately, because I think a lot of people did tell my mom, hey, you know, there's no reason you need to keep this baby. You, you had it with this random guy you met at a grocery store. But luckily she went and she got an ultrasound and saw me and was like, oh, no, there's no way. And then showed it to my dad, who at first was like, you know, if you don't want to do this thing, you don't have to. And then she's like, you mean get rid of this? And showed him like the ultrasound picture. And he was like, oh, my God, that's a baby. And so. You know, dodged a bullet there, <laughs> quite frankly. Wow. Wow. But uh, so, yeah, shouts out to all the moms out there. Uh, you're the real MVPs. Shout out. Shout out. Um, anyways, we could skip ahead because I don't think anything really interesting happened in kindergarten or anything like that. <laughs> uh, and if it did, I totally suppressed it. So it was probably bad. But um, yeah, I went through high school, did the whole normal public school thing. Uh, I guess my religious background, because this is mainly for Franciscan students, right? Like a Catholic podcast sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you want it to be. Where coherence goes to die. That's our, our tagline. Oh, so how, how Protestant of yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> You're here to that. Uh, but uh, no, I, I grew up in the Church of Christ and it was like the, uh, well, not the Church of Christ, you know, the one that mm-hmm. we're all in right now, but the one that was started in like 1860. And so I got kind of a, a husk of what Christianity is, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, you get the bare bones, you kind of get who Jesus is and all that. But it was, uh, 
I don't know. It, it was lame. It, it, it didn't uh, satisfy my soul. So I was an angsty atheist from like 15 to 25. And uh, wow. so I just revealed how old I am because 25 was a long time ago. And, uh, but I know, I know, I know, I don't look it at all. <laughs> Dude. Okay. I don't know how I do it. It's moisturizing, yeah, I frankly. I wear <laughs> lotion every day. You, okay. Before we go any further, your hair and is so badass. Your oh earrings, <laughs> your earrings, you. that is the most unbelievably badass set of earrings I've ever seen. Thanks, man. Did you see that? It's like a, it's like a, killer, like you were saying earlier, it's a dagger. It's like, it's a dagger. Look at that. Are you, you know, Elvis? I've, I found this from some <laughs> Latvian chick who is selling random earrings on, on Etsy. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to have it. And, so, uh, I just, <laughs> no, I really appreciate that. Cause there's a lot of times where I feel like people think I'm like peacocking and I'm just like, Hey, look at me. But I have just always been very eccentric. I can't help it. I, I, and not in a, like a, I'm obviously self-aware, which most eccentrics aren't, I guess. Hmm. Maybe I'm not even eccentric. I don't know. Maybe that makes me eccentric again. Yeah. Uh, but I've just always externalized that. But at the same time, it's kind of like a disarming thing. Cause I think people think I'm going to be some lame hippie, you know, uh, <laughs> maybe some really from a, California. You yeah. Know, yeah. And like. so you just, this lady, the other day I was at a, uh, respects in Toronto where I live right now. And she was like in the middle of the grocery aisle and I was trying to get out of her way. She's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just really confused. And, and I was like, Oh, it's all right. I think they just reconfigured this section lately. So that makes sense. And she was like, I wouldn't have thought with all those tattoos and those earrings that you were so articulate. And, and, <laughs> I, and I was like, wow, thanks. Yeah. I'm in graduate school. I'm hoping to get like a PhD and stuff, but I, I get it. You know, I do get it. And she's like, I wouldn't have known unless you spoke. And I was just like, well, thank you. So and the, the, the kicker is she was wearing a Biden Harris mask, which I just thought was so funny. You know, I, I was just like, real, I, I really wanted to, you know, stab back, but I was like, no, you know, let's just uh, goose Fraba. And was that over Kroger or something? No, respects in Toronto. Oh, respects. Okay, which is funny because most most of Toronto, I mean, they they just have random Trump rallies. It'll be like two Trump supporters together, and they'll like knock elbows and be like, "You want to have a rally? Sure." And then the whole town shows up <laughs> just randomly. Wow, there's been like 20 random rallies in that town in the last two months. It's it's insane. But, anyways, back to to my younger days. <clears throat> 18, don't know what I want to do with my life. Uh, I decided to just decide to join the military, specifically, obviously, the Marine Corps. Uh, and then I wanted to join the infantry and it was mainly so that nobody could ever give me a hard time about like my masculinity. Cause I used to have really long hair. You talk about eccentricity. I used to have really long blonde dreadlocks and I could show you them if I didn't delete my Instagram over the whole election thing right now. So I've always Good been you, kind of way. a funky looking dude. And I remember one time I was in class and this lady asked like, Hey, does anybody know what year we, we landed on the moon? And I raised my hand and she was like, yes, young lady in the back. And I was all like, wow, I will never let this happen. Again. And I was like, I, you know, that one lady was like a huge motivating factor for me risking my life. In the military. <laughs> <laughs> it like got That's to so me so bad. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. So I go, I, I kind of get suckered in by the recruiter and all the stuff that they tell young 18 year old kids who were full of testosterone and they got me hook, line and sinker. I don't regret any of it, but it certainly isn't as advertised. There's a whole lot of stuff that, that goes on. It's basically like going to jail and being in that environment and being in a total hyper-masculine, uh, just <clears throat> alpha male, you better not show any weakness or we'll eat you alive type of thing. And that's the infantry. That's not the whole military. That's just this very particular cult-like environment of the infantry. I'm guessing you know some some people. So, uh I did that. I did two combat deployments to Afghanistan. I was in South Helmand. Uh, they called it hell on earth for a little while. Uh, 
my area wasn't too bad. They didn't shoot at us a lot, but it was mainly just bombs that they plant in the ground, which mm. frankly, I don't blame them. You're taking on the might of the American empire. You're not going to, you're not going to beat us in a fair fight. We're going to, you know, slap you around 10 times out of 10. So I get it strategically, but kind of dishonorable, just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so I did that. Uh, to my surprise, no water parks at all in all of Afghanistan when I was there. Not a one. You know, it's all desert. Who'd have thought? And angry people. Probably because there's no water parks. <laughs> desert and angry desert people. Desert and angry people. A lot of angry people. Oh, man. That but makes for a nice uh, deployment. How long were the deployments? <clears throat> my first one was seven. And then my second one was uh, five. It got cut short. Um, the whole unit went home. But then I wound up having uh, lung damage from like a burn pit nearby. And so I had to get medevaced. Luckily, I'd already done all my oh, cool wow. stuff on my first deployment, so my pride wasn't hurt. Um, but that was unfortunate. I uh, almost passed out because um, I just suddenly couldn't breathe. Like legitimately, it was like, <gasps> like, and I got, they put me on oxygen and it was some like, you're almost at brain damage amount. And my, my corpsman, God bless him, was trying to just give me some like Mucinex and ibuprofen. He's like, just sleep it off. You'll be fine. And then like the main corpsman came up and he's like, this man needs to be on oxygen now. And they medevaced me. And so it was cut short a little bit, but yeah, that was fun. So I get out and uh, it turns out that being in the infantry isn't really a transferable skill into the job market, you know, blowing up <clears throat> things and people and kicking down doors and stuff. You can't really do that in too many places in America. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I wish I, well, I did know that before full, wholeheartedly. And in all honesty, and this is tracking back to like my atheism, I really was trying to make my, my existence relevant hmm. by attaching it to something way bigger than me. Right. And being like, you know, America is basically my nation. It's my religion, my Rome, my eagle. I'll die for this. Get my name etched in a wall somewhere. There's my immortality. You know, and it wasn't for many years later where I was like, that makes no sense at all. And it's really quite philosophically sad. Um, but that took a lot of maturity, which takes a while, especially with men. Um, not knocking on any of you. No, that's true. Men, men take a lot longer to mature a lot of the time. Well. Just I think that was a, maybe a, I hear a very <clears throat> immature female voice uh, being judgmental in the background. So perhaps not. Wow, that's interesting. What you're saying about like finding, yeah, Marines as being part of your meaning, like trying to find that meaning in your life, and like, okay, Marines, it's time. Here's America. I'm ready. You know. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then it's kind of like you always want. My dad wasn't around too too much, and so you're you're seeking constant like paternal affirmation. You know, where is my dad? If I disappointed my staff sergeant, it was like disappointing my father. Okay. You know, yeah. and and then when you get out, it's like losing your family. Uh, and so I understand why a lot of guys, when they get out, they have a much harder time adjusting because it's basically like, if, especially if you've rooted your entire identity in it. I mean, it's almost like if all of a sudden the Vatican was destroyed or something, or like the, I imagine what the Jews felt like when the second temple, when the, the temple was destroyed, it's like, geez, what do I do? I mean, that's what it's like for every veteran that gets out. It's like, my life is gone. Yeah. That and whole so, family, that whole experience, the, yeah. whole, the whole thing that you'd been doing for four years straight, your whole life. And now you're like. And have a good time in I civilian world. A lot of us weren't really anticipating getting out. I, I wasn't anticipating living through the experience, to be frank. I, I figured, you know, when they told us the area we were going to, you know, two weeks before I went there, two of my my friends, uh, Vintage and Dew, had passed away. They, they got hit by an IED that killed like 12 guys. Dang. And so <clears throat> after that, there's a, the temptation to be like, I want to get out of this. I don't want to go. This is This is real. But then it was like, no, you know, suck it up and do what you signed up to do. And, and if you go, you go. 
And in retrospect, now you couldn't pay me, you couldn't pay me a thousand dollars to stay in Steubenville overnight. You know, <laughs> you know, I'd be like, no, at least outside or me, yeah. if I was inside, it'd be like a nice hunkered down location. But mm-hmm. there's just some things that I felt like maybe were very dangerous and I didn't think through all the way. And there's a thousand stories I could tell you the very risky things that we did that weren't even combat related, but I would be here all night if I started saying them. Anyways, I get out, go back home. Uh, <clears throat> I started going to university of Phoenix, which uh, is not good. Um, uh, Forgive me. If they're listening, I hope they're not. I don't want to get sued. They're a great school. Uh, this is the best school ever. But I found the education was wanting. I actually had a dream where I was surrounded by all these different college alumni. And they were kind of like patting each other's backs. and like, what, what school did you go to? Oh, UC Davis. Oh, I went to UC Riverside. I went to Berkeley. I went to Stanford. What about you, Steve? And I was like, I went to University of Phoenix. And they all pointed and they're like, ah, ha, ha, ha. Like <laughs> laughing at me. Bad dream, ding. <laughs> So I like woke up in a cold sweat and I was like, this is either my subconscious or Providence. Well, I wouldn't have thought it was Providence then, but now it probably was Providence being like, you know, you're better than this and you can do something better. So at the time I was dating this really pretty Christian girl. And the first reason is basically the whole reason I was dating her. She's so pretty. I didn't really care about her religion or anything. And I figured, oh, maybe if I go to a Christian school, it'll impress her a little bit more. And I'm, I've always been pretty right-leaning in my politics, mm-hmm. and I figured most Christians are too. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I at least knew that if at a private school, I might be able to get away with expressing myself where at a public school, I couldn't have. And then especially in the last four or five years, I think that was really prescient. But um, so I start going there, and I, I'm just kind of going through the Christian classes. You know, BIOLA stands for the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. I didn't realize I was going to have to have 30 units of Bible credits to graduate. And so I have a whole year of biblical education. That's a requirement for every undergrad. Yeah. And so I was in these classes thinking that I was like the smart atheist and being like, (laughs) Hey, uh, hey, uh, prof, can God make a a rock so big? Even he can't lift it. (laughs) Check me. You know, (laughs) uh, and and usually with with most Christians that I met, they were like, I guess I should just stop going to church now. You know, like they, they just gave up immediately. Sadly. Really? Yes. There was like, I don't know. I mean, that's just, I got to rethink my whole life now. But Dr. Williams, who I still talk to to this day was like, well, Steve, that's like a category fallacy. It's like asking me if I can smell yellow. And I was just like, I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) I'm not smart. And I was like, I don't know everything. And then a few weeks later we were going over the Trinity, which I'd heard of. And I'd always heard that Jesus was the son of God. But this was the first time I'd ever had it articulated that he's God, the son, the eternal person, you know, and that mm, even yeah. if I didn't believe it at that time, it was such a fascinating idea. I was like, really? He's God? And then I started thinking of like immediately I just thought of the crucifix and I was like, that's God? And I was like, this there was like, okay, this is kind of compelling. And then we start breaking down like the history and all, all the historical precedent, the fact that so much of it's true, the eyewitnesses and all that, but So I started calling myself a Christian, but then I'm at a Protestant school. And so, you know, you go into one classroom and you have a Calvinist. You go into another classroom, you have a Lutheran. You go to another one, it's Reformed. Oh, this one's more Dutch Reformed. Well, this one's more, you know, uh, post-Synod, whatever. You know, it's just so many different things. And I was like, if your claim is true that God existed, or God exists, and God the Son became man, would he really leave us this funky of a system where, you know, at the ascension. That's a really good point. Wow. You know, he's just sitting there and he's like, well, guys, uh, I taught you all this stuff. Uh, Write things down in 30 years. Maybe, I don't know. Who cares? (laughs) Anyway, see ya. And then he blasts off into the sky. And it makes no sense. And so, but I still, I never in a million years would have thought that the institution that really is supposed to be it is the Catholic Church. And then that leads to basically almost to how I got to Franciscan 
Um, I, I speak decent Hackdeutsch, or at least I used to Sprecher mm-hmm. Hackdeutsch. Um, and so because of that, they were going to Germany to study what else but the Reformation, which I'd always kind of heard of. And I just assumed, well, Luther's a good guy because he fought against the Catholic Church. And uh, obviously he was right because all Christians are from the Lutherans. You know, it was just this mm-hmm. really weird mindset I had. So we go there we go to Europe. I'm speaking German left and right, ordering big old Bavarian beers and stuff. And then like we go over transubstantiation and how it was like uh, like a new iteration from something previous uh, or consubstantiation and yeah. how it came from transubstantiation. And then I was like, well, what's transubstantiation? What was this even about? And they're like, well, the Eucharist. And I was like, well, what's the Eucharist? And like, it's like what they believe about, you know, the real body and the real blood. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like in John six, when he's talking about like, you're eating my body and you're eating my blood. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, what is this? You know, I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, it's Catholic stuff. And I'm like, no, I, I have to know, you know? Wow. Edit, wow edit that part out. <laughs> <clears throat> the most important part. So you're learning transubstantiation in Bavaria? Uh, uh, under Well, you were learning <laughs> as part of like learning Lutheranism, yeah, Protestant-Reformation stuff. You're basically learning like what Luther believed and, and why he believed it. And then I was like, got well, it. Yeah, yeah. And then you're learning also for the first time that he was a Catholic monk, an Augustinian Catholic monk beforehand. Hmm. And I'm like, well, why would he would have been, why would he have been a Catholic? And they're like, well, that was the dominating church at the time. And I was like, well, for how long? And then, you know, there was kind of like, you know, it was always kind of this. Dis- oh, like 1500 years. Yeah, this like thing. <laughs> and then I it was looking into that. And then that whole thing just kind of that trip after that, I was like, I'm, I'm Catholic. I was like, this, this is the only wow, thing in my whole life that's that ever made trip. sense. Wow. It, it made, cause I already had Christianity existing in the eighth. Yeah. I had all the puzzle pieces up there in the cloud hmm. and then the, the Catholic claim and then the historical precedent and then all that just slammed it all together you know, like a, in a single moment. And I was like, Oh my That's God, crazy, this is man. true. I, I, I honestly, I don't really, I never believed in like grace or Providence or God is doing this or that. But that was one of those things where I was like, this didn't feel like me. It felt like something being injected into my brain. And it was like, look at, you know, like now you can see it, you know, like, you know, like here's something like, bah, you know, there you yeah. go. And so, um, I go down to my local parish and I'm like, Hey, I'm Catholic now. So, uh, Basically, I'm one of you guys. And the priest, Father C, very conservative, orthodox priest was like, no, no, you're not. You know, you have to go through the RCIA for a year. And I was like, a year? I already have a Bible uh, undergrad thing that I'm working on right now. So I already know all the stuff, you know? <laughs> and he's like, no, you you have to go through it for a year. And in that moment, I was like, am I going to submit to this authority, mm-hmm. you know? Or am I going to say, ah, oh, it's inconvenient. So I submitted to the authority. The whole time I was in Europe, I kept reading all these different instructors Scott Hahn, and then there's, you know, Patrick Madrid and Trent Horn, and all nice. these guys were associated with Franciscan. Hmm. And so I th- when I, I became baptized last year, because it turns out my first baptism was illegitimate. Really? Uh, well, I was wow. baptized at 12 years old in the name of the Father and the Son, so I might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which I found out three That's days so... before I was supposed to be confirmed three days, which is weird. And then like, okay, so we're not confirming you, we're baptizing you. And then I was like, I'm being baptized like again, you know, cause I remember vividly being baptized as a child. And now yeah. I have one of the few people who can say I've been baptized twice, you know, even though only once. So, okay. Yeah. Theologians don't accuse, yes. don't accuse me of anything. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but no. And so that just led you were me baptized here. a year ago and yeah. brought into the church at the like similar time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so I, I was baptized April of 2019 and then I moved here in November, 2019. And so it was just kind of one of those things. And then I found out that the VA, like I, I basically complained to him saying like, you guys allowed me to be exploited by the University of Phoenix. Just uh, not not being serious, University of Phoenix, because they are so happy, dude. They, they oh, are really? sue your pants off. But uh, so they're like, okay, yeah, we'll pay for your grad school in Ohio. And so I was like, okay, you'll pay for my grad school in Ohio. There's nothing keeping me in California. There's even more of a reason to leave California because it's sure. just completely Every day lost its mind. <laughs> 
And so, yeah. And uh, yeah, five hours later, that's... I'm sorry, I should have done the SpongeBob voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Five, Five hours, hours later. later. <laughs> That's Damn, how dude. I wound up in <clears throat> Steubenville, Ohio. That's crazy. Like the progression from atheist <laughs> to Phoenix and then the Christian Biola Bible stuff. And then you were like, like you were saying, like piecing stuff together and like, then like, oh, no, that, that works. And then that. You, like the Trinity and then, oh, wait, wait a second. And then transubstantiation. Uh, that, that was really interesting. Yeah, I'd that, never, that was like what preceded, yeah. And then the, you know, Han is always, Dr. Han's always talking about like uh, basically Eucharistic, what is it? Eucharistic, not adoration, but just like amazement. Just like when you're sitting there and I, I mean, I'm like that every Sunday and I'm not trying to put an advertisement for maybe any other ladies who are very into the Eucharist. Because uh, I like the Eucharist, ladies. Shout out. Uh, shout shout out. out. Shouts out to the Eucharist, guys. And, uh, but I, I really am just completely in awe every time he says, this is my body. And in my, in my head, it's just, Bink, divine, here, boom, now. You know, God's here and I'm about to eat him. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, it's a trip. And so, but I mean, I have to balance being Catholic with the whole secular life that I had to leave behind, all those mm. friends who I didn't abandon. I still love them. I never cut them off or anything, but I am still that guy. I'm baptized. You know, I, I have the holy water sprinkled on me, but it's difficult to go from so many different cultures Really, even when I go to from Planet Franciscan back to Toronto, yeah, and I maybe I'll go to a bar and, and drink with the locals, and they're all these steel mining, rough and tough type Ohio types, and I got to put on this kind of like, how's it going, boys? Hard day at work, you know? <laughs> and like, I got to. I just with, came out of on class, exactly. And I'm like, I, I was just talking about ecclesiastical Christology and yeah. uh, we we're reading Acts of the Apostles today, Davidic <laughs> Kingdom Covenant type typology. <laughs> so I have to just kind of lower it down and be like, how about that game? You know, and I don't even know what game it was. I'm like, mm. uh, that one. And, uh, but they're such good people. Like even when I quit my social media, it was like three weeks ago, two people stopped by my apartment to make sure I was alive. They're like, you always post, you stop posting. You are a veteran. We're worried about you. And I was like, Oh, you know, I barely even know that I've been, I met them like two months ago <laughs> and they're like stopping by to make sure I'm alive. And so real love out here, real genuine love, but yeah, it's, uh, enough about you. Let's talk about me. <laughs> uh, dude, hell of a story. <laughs> What man? Uh, Dang. Go ahead. I just, uh, the whole uh, the comment that you made. Um, well, you know, if if God really came, then why would there be such like a broken system? Could there be all these like? W- could that be the true faith? Is like all these broken? Like you were saying, oh, one person is like Calvinist, and then like whatever, whatever. Like the next next classroom is just like that can't be right. You know what I mean? There's got to be one true faith. It's the Catholic faith. It's just. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, so how do your professors mean. respond to like <laughs> when you when you when you see this walking around? You don't expect such profound thoughts. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> if you if you were like six foot five, you'd be the scariest man on the planet. Uh, I know now. now <laughs> <laughs> that hair and the now I'm the just ear- I'm just the scariest man in America right now. Oh, you're buff as hell, dude. But if oh, you were like thanks. six five. <laughs> I'd be so freaked out to go anywhere near you. I'm serious. Yeah, my uh, apparently my great great grandfather was about that height, and then my dad was with a Mexican, <laughs> and so you know that's where I think I inherited that short. But I'm still taller than most of my uncles and stuff. So yeah, I don't know, but I, I have heard that every inch you are past six feet reduces like five years off of your life or something. So I'll, huh, that's scary. I'll take my twenty years or whatever. <laughs> yeah, for real. But, uh, I kind of want to go back to the military stuff about it. Sure. Um, your, let's say your opinions on 18 year olds joining the military today versus when you were 18. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't really speak to too many 18 year olds now and it's not that I don't want to. It's just that I think that they think that I am so much older than them 
And I think I would have felt that way when I was 18, you know, hmm. but I, I can't really say one of the big reasons why I got out was because I did feel like it was getting softer. It was becoming more accommodating towards people who don't deserve to be accommodated. And by that, I just mean lower ranks kids with no experience. I mean, I remember this huh. guy, I, I, before I got out, I was a corporal. You know, I went to, I was corporal's course. I went to infantry mortar leaders course. I was fire direction center chief. I was based, I ran the gun line on my mortar platoon. You know, I was a very experienced Marine. I knew my job and my Marines respected me, which is all that I ever wanted. And, um, and so when you're all that and you really have to earn being a corporal, you're not just given it because you happen to be in an easier job. Yeah. You want to be called corporal at least by kids who haven't been on any deployments or anything like that. Yeah. And so this guy, he had just got to the fleet. That's what we call it when you get to the unit. And he's very comfortable. You know, he's like, hey man, um, I'm just wondering if, uh, and I light him up immediately. Like, I'm not your man, boy. You know, like it's corporal to you. And I was like, don't ever call me that again. And you know, and, and then he's you know, kind of, and this gunnery sergeant hears me and he pulls me to the side. And I used a lot more choice language in there than I, sure, than I yeah. did. And I, I just don't want to use it on the podcast. You're more than welcome to, <laughs> by the way. No, and, and even we, in we my- say a bunch, but- See, my friend Jake, who I told you gave me a hard time about oh, saying- Oh, for saying hell yeah. Hell, if he hears me say that on here, then he'll give me a firmer rebuke. <laughs> sure. And so I don't want him to, I don't know if he'll ever Anyways, even listen. you used your choice language with uh, yeah. Substart. And so, and, but we would say I lit him up. That's what we say. Okay. I, I lit that kid up. And then the gunnery sergeant came up and he's like, you can't talk to him like that. And I thought he was joking with me. I was like, he's a private and he's a boot. You know, boot is basically the worst slur you can give a Marine because it means you haven't been on any combat deployments. Oh, okay, you know, yeah. it means you have no experience. You're green. You know, if you were to say something, like that, there's more salt on the bottom of my boot than there is in your whole body. You know, and it's like, that's, that's one of those things where you, know, you haven't even earned the G grunt. You know, you say stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so it really was more insulting to me that I was asked to not be mean to this kid for disrespecting my rank. And so after that, I was, I was like, are you serious, Gunnery Sergeant? And he was like, yes, absolutely. And I was like, all right. And that was coming out. I was like, I'm getting out. Like, because if a gunny is telling me that, then it's infected the higher ranks. And maybe it's helped some people who have a harder time in the military. But honestly, I think if you have a harder time in the military, you shouldn't be in the military. Yeah, you you totally. need to be hard. You know, it's yeah. a... It's not a political entity. It's, it's, you have to, you have to kill, you have to fight. You have to, you know, you can't cry. I remember this one kid cried right before we deployed and we all unanimously basically went to the staff sergeant in private and we're like, he needs to go because we're not even in combat. He's, we're training and he's crying because we're, we're basically making fun of him, giving him a hard time. But, you know, you're like poking him, seeing where he's soft, seeing what bruises he has and if it hurts, you know, and if it does, then you keep poking and poking and poking. So you never let him know it hurts. You know, you just shut up and boil it in until 10 years later, you're in the middle of a bar pissing off somebody else <laughs> over, you know, and then you just bury it deep. And, um, but this kid didn't do it. And so we all had to make sure that he didn't go. Funny story about him. We found out years later that he was running a, a gun range course under the guise of having been like special operations. And we were like, and we, we immediately went to go and just call the people and be like, no, he wasn't. He's a crybaby. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. Wow. Maybe that was a bit cruel, but uh, yeah, man, that's why I say the Marine Corps is, is a, is a cult. I know that there's army units in the infantry and it's not that it's just the infantry. There's a lot of other things, but I can only speak to my experience. And so, yeah, the Marines are just a, a completely different animal from, from bottom to top. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Where were you stationed in the U.S.? So I was, I went to boot camp in MCRD and then I was stationed in 29 Palms, California, okay. which if you were to locate uh, Satan's butthole in the middle of the planet, it'd be right there. It'd be right on Satan's butt. It's always about 120 degrees. Oh, no. Is it California desert? Like- yeah. People go 
from all around the world to 29 Palms to train to simulate for Afghanistan, where we lived there. So we like oh. lived in the desert and trained in the desert and deployed in the desert and came back home to the desert. And that then, sucks so bad. And so like, <laughs> yeah. And so we were basically like when I was, when I went to infantry school and I, I went 0341, a mortarman. And so they were telling, you know, the, the 0331s, the machine gunners, they were going to, to uh, 27 and the, uh, the other guys were going to 3-5 and those are all the units. And then they go to us and they're like third LAR, which we'd never even heard of. And that's what the light armored recon reconnaissance. And they're like, where's that? And he's like, and my gunnery sergeant was like 29 palms, baby. And, and we were like, why is he smiling? And he's like, don't worry, boys. It'll put some hair on your chest. And we were like, oh God, <laughs> why? Uh, and so, yeah. And the best part is that there's a thing called Lake Bandini, which is where they recycle the water there. Um, so it always smells like, like feces all year long. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like that's what I'm saying. That is like really like gotta be the worst it's, place to be stationed as a world. But it's funny because when you come home from Afghanistan and you get off the bus, you smell it and you're like, oh, Lake Mandini. It's good to be home, you know? Like, I don't care. This is America, baby. Uh, how does that compare to the Steubenville smell? Uh, yeah, I haven't really smelled anything. It's just like okay, good. It's, it's like it's, a humid, gross, cold. I for one, I'm not used to the seasons. It doesn't at all. happen. Yeah. I, I it doesn't happen that often, Steubenville stench. I remember uh you'd it was very sporadic. It would like one time in a month and then it wouldn't happen for like another three months or something. Uh, it's not that, <clears throat> I don't think it's that bad, honestly. Your place sounds a lot worse. 120 <laughs> degrees. How hot was Afghanistan? I think the hottest that I got, so my first deployment was mainly in the winter and it got okay. pretty cold and rainy. Oh, really? Yeah. Which there's certain, like where we were at in the South, they, we, we call it moon dust because when it's dry and you walk on it, it poofs up like what you would imagine happened wow. on the moon. Dang. So when it rains, it basically acts as a putty and, you know, vehicles get stuck in it all the time. Oh. You're extremely exposed. You know, sometimes you'll be out there for hours, just you, just, you know, your platoon and you're waiting for somebody to come and pull you out. And so it's like Afghanistan just wasn't like, like when God was making earth, he was like, just this place, whatever, you know, it was like, just make it do everything. And then in the summer, I think the hottest it ever got that I can recall was 135. Oh and my gosh. How do you, how do you, in that weather, how do you exist? <laughs> like, how do you like go around? So there, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it like, I, I don't mean this insultingly, but people have been living there like that for thousands of years, yeah. you know? And so there is a way of going about it and a way of doing it. But I just remember leaving our hooch, which had some air conditioning and it just felt like somebody had like a blow dryer on your face, like right on your face. And that's what it felt like. And so the only secret is, is contrary to what you might think, like if I drop layers, I'll be cooler, but it's, it's the opposite. You need to put on way more layers. You know, you need to put on several different layers, cover up your face several times to where you can basically create a barrier from the heat around your body oh. and you'll sweat a whole ton and, and it'll weigh a whole lot and you'll have back problems for years, but it's better than getting burned. And, uh, yeah. And oh, so, I mean, miserable hydration, you, you got to stay on top of all that. And it was, and especially when you had incompetent people in charge, who would have you do a eight mile patrol and tell you, don't even, you don't need to bring all that weight on you. You don't need to bring water on you. Oh, okay. I don't need to bring water, buddy. Okay. <laughs> you know? And so, uh, but I won't, I won't name names. <laughs> I, I keep saying like, this is like a Joe Rogan podcast, you know, like 600,000 viewers. Each yeah, one. exactly. We're not going to name any yeah. names on this one. But, Going out uh, to our millions of viewers, but. Yeah, man. But I mean, I got out in 2013 and you know, it's 2020. That's seven years ago. So I've already, it's already been twice the amount of time that I was in that I've been out. And it's still one of the most vivid times in my life that, oh, I that, bet. Yeah. that sticks out a lot. And you more. have people trying to kill you every day. And honestly, <laughs> it's very liberating. It kind of, it, it's so freeing. It's so, you're so much happier, seriously, because it's, you know, oh, what, what's that Shakespeare 
you know, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. And then, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's just something about living in one. It's, I almost, I think it's what the saints are talking about where you're just constantly living in one almost moment that's shared in like the eternity of God, where God is in all of eternity. And you are sharing in that because you are existing in your now and it's nothing else but now, you know, and, Dude, and, blown and my mind. Wait a second. <laughs> wait a second, Steve. You just said it's so it's so liberating that experience of being with those guys and having people like trying to kill you and you have a mission to do. That's a liberating thing you're saying. There's a reason why guys will basically abandon their families and just constantly go to war because it's it's a lot easier in many ways to go out and survive every day like our ancestors did than it is to go out and live every day for somebody else paying taxes, going through the motions, doing mediocre things. Not that there's anything wrong. I mean, this is what most people live through. And there's so many challenges and hurdles and drama and theatrics that go through every single moment of every single person's life. But I'm just saying, it's just liberating to be like, I don't care about my, you know, whose birthday it is tomorrow back home. I don't care if I didn't, you know, do this certain assignment. I don't, I just care. Is my rifle clean? Are my guys okay? Are we going to make it back from patrol? Did we today? Cool. Let's relax. You know, hard day's work done. And what are you thinking about tomorrow? You're not thinking way in the future. And so when you get home and you're out and you're 22 and this whole time you've just been like, you know, now, now, now. And then it's like, okay, buddy, here you go. Here's the rest of your life. You know, do whatever you want with it. You're like, I don't even know. I I haven't known what to do with my day, you know? And so it's hard. I honestly, I think it was really my faith, you know, just being Catholic and, and, uh, and I know this isn't an advertisement for, for the Catholic faith, but for me, it really has been just this almost equally liberating, you know? Oh, and that's what I'm saying with, I forget if it was St. Faustina. Is she the one who painted the image of divine mercy? Yeah, that's her. And she was talking about that, how like, I want to live in my now, like you live in your now, you know? So I'm paraphrasing and I probably butchered it. Sorry, St. Faustina, forgive me, pray <laughs> for me. Um, but that's really how it felt. And, and I've met other veterans. I met a Vietnam guy, actually it was somebody in the RCIA. And he was like, can anybody remember the happiest they've been in their entire life? And I, and I was like, yeah, when I was in Afghanistan. And he's like, no kidding. Mine was when I was in Vietnam. And it's- Wow. So it's- That's so wild from like a civilian perspective. Most people are like, that but, must be the most, you know, hellish experience. Like it must be terrible, but, but like, and it must be so, um, yeah, you, you, but no, it's liberating. <laughs> like but, it's so weird in that way. Um, because you, I, I think I get kind of what you're saying is like you, like in this life that we're living now, we have so many different things that we kind of have to worry about. Well, you know, taxes or whatever, like you were saying, or just your family, but like there, you know, like your unit is your family and your worry is like survival. You know what I mean? It's like the next day, like, it's just kind of like the whole, and what else, what you were saying was like, when you get out, like so many veterans, and just like vets are, it's like a completely different ch- change of mind. And like, you feel like you're losing your family. Do you think that's um, a reason why kind of we have so many veterans committing suicide? I heard there's like 22 a day or something that do you think yeah. that's reason why is because they're all of a sudden detached from something that they're used to knowing into something completely different now. Yeah. There was a, I've, my unit alone has, has lost more guys to suicide than we ever did in combat. And, uh, like we lost a lot of guys in Iraq way back in the day, but since Afghanistan, I think we only lost two on my deployment. And since I've been out, it's gotta be 20 or 25 of us that have taken our lives. And so it got to the point 
in the first couple of years where I was just really hurt every time. And then after a bit, it just, I couldn't, I couldn't feel it anymore. I, I couldn't let myself grieve because I just knew it was going to happen again. And it, it just happened so often. And I do think, I, I, I think it has a lot to do. And this is my opinion with that whole identity thing is like, you know, when your identity is the unit and the military, and then they start doing drawbacks, you know, or cutbacks, like they started doing under the Obama administration. And, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there's, they're downsizing the military and these guys who they, they were Marines. They, they got girls because they were Marines. They got respect because they were Marines. They, they loved their jobs. You know, I remember Corporal Sosi you know, was one of the, the best saw gunners that we had. And he was out not even, I don't even know how long he was out. But then he decided to do the the deed. And I, I just think it's because he was one of those guys who's so good at what he did. And then it was like, well, we don't need you anymore. And it's like, well, if you don't need me and this is all that I can do, then nobody needs me, you know? And it's a tragic thing. And I don't, I don't ever want to even visit what their rationale might be in my own head. Cause I don't know if I'm completely immune to that. You know, I would hope I'm not, especially now that I have a, a greater hope, mm-hmm. but I mean, you know, who knows? I, there's a lot of difference between warfare now and warfare in the past. I'd say, you know, even like Confederate soldiers and stuff, you went with your boys from Virginia and you all knew each other since you were kids and you went and you fought and then you all went back home to the same town. You know, you were with each other the whole Mm -hmm. time in the war. And now we're all scattered back in the diaspora and it's like, well, maybe we'll be in touch. I don't know. You know, and, and and it's kind of like that whole, you know, the band of brothers that you think you're going to get. And then you get in, you realize like there are a lot of, there's still a lot of scumbags. There's a lot of dishonorable people. There's a lot of lying. There's a big lack of honor. They're going to be once you get back or. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. And I think that's why when I meet people and they're telling me that they're joining the military, I always ask what their motivations are and if they're trying to do a combat job, because it's not a, you know, it's no joke, man. It'll, it'll, it'll eat you up and they call it like the thousand mile bullet because it comes at you from a thousand miles away. And, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bummer. I don't, I know a few of the guys on this shirt were all, were, were suicides. They weren't even combat uh, attacks, but I think we still consider them combat deaths in a way because it's from that so many years later, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, people talk a lot about, so the identity part of it, and then also the talk about PTSD and like reliving the memories of warfare. Yeah. How much, how much of that do you think plays in as well? I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to say. Cause I know guys, like I know guys who've been on seven combat deployments and it, it doesn't seem to affect them at all. Mm. And they were, they were in Fallujah and, and Najaf yeah. and all these hardcore battles. Uh, and they're fine. Totally fine. I mean, they might drink and punch a wall every once in a while, no. but to me, I mean, that's, that's not the worst thing you could do. But then I know guys who, you know, they were in a heavily armored vehicle and they got a few pop shots at them. So imagine hearing like, ding, 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 and that's it. <laughs> you know, and they're, they're affected from it for the rest of their lives. <laughs> yeah. mm. And you, I don't know how that is. I don't know what that, per- what's inside that particular person's mind, what they were expecting, yeah. how they're going to cope. And they really don't address it when you're in. They It's, Mental health is kind of like a, an afterthought. It's, it's basically like, get the troops there, get them to fight, and we'll take care of them way later. And a lot yep. of the times it's too late. Hmm. So I don't know. Because they're not helping them while it's going on. And then it kind of like crystallizes in the memory and and people are getting messed up as it's going rather than, and then like, well, we'll fix it later on. We'll send them to you know, a VA hospital or something like that. But then that. it's also like in the last couple of wars that America's had, you don't have veterans having the benefit of feeling like they've been victorious over an immoral <sighs> enemy. That's true. And so like in World War II, you know, we beat the Nazis and everybody's always agreed the Nazis are bad. And so everybody in World War II is a hero. Mm. And, and at least there was an objective victory there. Vietnam is wishy-washy and the last 30 years or so in the Middle East have all been about the same. Yeah. And so areas that I spent, you know, there's a, it's called Cop Castle. I spent basically a year of my life there defending it from the Taliban. 
we let the Taliban take it back. And now, you know, we're having peace talks of leaving Afghanistan, which I totally support. Um, but it just sucks that it's kind of like, so what was the whole point? You yeah. know, and, and, and um, I, I don't know, I would, I, I think, and I would think something that might detract people from that is any senator that votes for a war has to send a family member or something, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, you, you couldn't become Caesar unless you had fought with the Romans for 30 years <laughs> or something. You know, you couldn't just waltz in there and be like, I think I have a lot of money and I'm going to lead you now. And they'd be like, okay, but did you conquer the Gauls? You know, like, did yeah. you cross the Rubicon? And so those are history references. Julius Caesar, of course. Julius Caesar. Shout out, Shout out Julius Caesar. <laughs> wow, such I mean, a, yeah. yeah. Okay, do you think, let's let's take Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, yeah, I mean, do you think we should have been there for as long as we did? Should was, we yeah. have pulled out earlier? Yeah. Should we have stayed that, longer? Yeah. I was thinking about this the other day because I was 10 when 9-11 happened. And so I remember it. And I remember the day and I remember even as a kid being like, we need to get whoever did this, you know, cause it was just a real natural sense of justice. And I think that's how most of America felt along every single party line. You know, I mean, especially you have New York, which is like such a artistic hub and it's pretty liberal. And so it was like, it was really an attack on the entirety of the country. And so I think it turned from a valiant effort to punish those who hurt us into just neoconservative geopolitical nonsense. Hmm. And that's a whole lot of political jargon because my undergrad was poli sci, but I just, I, I, I don't want to say America first in like the old school uh, hyper-nationalist sense, but at least if you're going to send us to go and fight, make it, make it something that, that matters or that's justifiable, yeah. that has some moral backing. I mean, now whenever I hear some conservative you know, some neocon war hawk like John Bolton being like, we need to send troops into Syria. And I'm like, Syria, the only country in the Middle East that protects its Christian minority? Really? You know, Syria? Why? Because they're friends with the Russians, you know? And it's like, exactly. And it's like, well, then you go, John. You know, you go fight them. <laughs> go ahead. You know, yeah. like, don't send me and mine. And uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I I don't want to say because I was a kid at the time. All I can really talk about is what I'm experiencing now. I, and I'm, I'm vehemently, and most veterans I know, frankly, are vehemently anti-war now, which is funny how it just yeah. totally flipped in the last like 15 years where we're kind of like, we're sick of it and we know it's BS. And, uh, as interesting yeah. you're talking about like the identity, a lot of, for some people, it's like their identity is guys who do war, you know, warriors. Yeah. And there's, are those some of the same, like that class of people in the Marines, would they be the guys like, yeah, more deployments, more wars, we need more, or they be, no, let's pull out. We shouldn't be in these type of places. Those types of guys are the Cincinnatus. Uh, they are, you know, who, who Washington based himself off of. Cincinnatus was the guy who was asked by the Roman Senate to go and fight off. I don't know if it was Spartacus or one of no. those guys. Hmm. But he was like, I'm a farmer. You know, what are you asking of me? But Rome needed him. So he stayed and he did his duty. I think those are the kind of guys that did it. And then when they're done and they retire and they feel like they've done 20 years of service to their country, they'll be done. I don't, I think there's very few literal psychopaths who want to just kill. You know, I think there's a lot of guys who are like, I can't stand what my country is doing, but if, if, if some jabroni does it, then who knows what's going to happen? I at least know what I'm doing and I can help these guys. There's something like I'm good at what I do. And what I do is fly helicopters or shoot bad guys or whatever you do that specific skill, which is not translatable to the civilian world. Yeah. So you're like, okay, well, if we're going to do this thing, I'm going to be the one who's going to be on the, on the plane going to Afghanistan. It's almost like being a neurosurgeon with working hands 
and deciding, I think I'm going to become like a, like a hedge clipper or something, you know? And it's like, okay, I mean, you could do that, but you're a neurosurgeon with working hands, you know, Mm -hmm. like, why wouldn't you do that? And so I think that's how a lot of these guys feel like they're obligated to be warriors as long as they can be. Yeah. But, and you'll always have gung-ho, we call them moto, moto heads. And uh, motivators and guys are like, good morning. It's a wonderful day to be in the Marine Corps, you know, like, <laughs> hoorah. <laughs> and they just really annoy the rest of us. And and usually those guys aren't combat veterans. They're just kind of cheerleaders for the, the group that is the Marine Corps. Okay. They sell you the merch and they recruit you. And, you know, those, those are the guys who would be these big jack guys outside of a mall. But then if you could actually read their ribbon stacks, you'd realize that they haven't done anything the whole entire time. <laughs> so, but yeah, man, Marine Corps. I haven't talked about that. Every day for the rest of the yeah. last couple well, we, of years. We have them in San Diego. Uh, uh, we had the Marine Corps Air Station, uh, yeah, MCAS yeah. down there. And they fly their Ospreys or whatever their, their things are all the time, which is great. We love them down there. I have a number of, I have a good family friend of ours, uh, Major John Solkowski. Shout out to him. Flies, um, used to fly, what is it? F-18s or I don't know what they're on now. They're, they're fancy fighter jets. Now he fly, uh, flies C-130s. And uh, yeah, we talk Marines a lot with him and, it, like, I, I like how you put it as a cult. <laughs> um, yeah. Could you talk more on that? What do you mean by like the yeah, cult aspect um, of Marines? It's funny. I was just telling Jake about all this stuff this morning. I lift with Jake every morning. He's not like my boyfriend or anything, you know? So he's like the main guy I talk to, but it's not like I was just talking to Jake about this. And <laughs> But like, there's like rituals that you didn't know. And and like even being a boot, you know, nobody tells you you're going to be a boot. They, they tell you you're going to be a Marine. And uh, everybody, when you get home, respects you because you're a Marine, but Marines don't respect you. <laughs> Marines don't care if you pass boot camp. They did that. And yeah. so like my first day of, of getting to my unit, 3rd LAR, there's just this guy. I mean, imagine somebody who looks just like me now and I'm terrified, you know, and I, not that I, I don't think, I don't think I'm terrifying, but, but I, <laughs> I, I did. I mean, come on. Once you get to know me, I'm super yeah. sweet. And, uh, but I just remember coming up and just seeing this dude Doyle who I still talk to. And he, I, I, I think he had like a, a plastic cup so he could spit his dip in it. He had these big sunglasses that were totally out of red, irregulation. His hair was all long and unkempt. And, uh, cause he'd been on a few deployments. So he could, he could rate it. He rated to do that. Basically. I didn't know that that was a thing. So all these guys are waiting. They're like kind of pushing the bus that we're on. And I'm like, oh my God, was it like, like almost like in a riot or something? Mm-hmm. Forgive me. Now I'm the party. <laughs> no, you're the- <laughs> no, you're good, dude. And so, um, anyways, we get up and, you know, they're just pushing, pushing this bus and terrifying us. And he's just looking at us all. He's like, what's going on, Boots? Welcome to 3rd IAR. Show you your room, okay? And, and then we're like, you know, like, I Lance Corporal. He's like, that's right. I Lance Corporal, you know? And it's like... <laughs> And because that was his rank. And you'd never, ever say that after a couple of years. I, Lance Corporal, such a low rank. Mm. But then I remember, like I said, you're the motivators. So like the next day I, I went to go to the PX and I had on my USMC sweater and like matching, you know, Marine Corps boots. And I was all like, it's a great day to be a Marine. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. I go to the PX and I come back and I, I got my high and tight. And you could just tell from a million miles away, I just got in the Marine Corps. Like for Marines now, it's like the eye of Sauron. Like I can spot a boot from like a half a <laughs> click away. I'm like, yeah. oh, that guy's great green, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I just remember walking <clears throat> and I keep hearing like, boot, hey, boot, boot. And I'm like, oh no. And I'm just, I'm like kind of trying to ignore it. And this bottle of Jack Daniels just flies right past my head and it breaks under the wall and it shatters everywhere. And I like stop and I look up and there's this dude who's like, like six foot five, gigantic, <laughs> covered in tattoos, shirtless, smoking a cigarette. He's like, come here, boot. And I, I, I'm oh, like, shit. And, and so, you know, and, and I'm like looking at him and I'm like, I just, I got to go put something in my room. He's like, yeah, you do. And then you're going to come right back. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. 
And I sp- I go the opposite way so he doesn't know where my room is. And I took off. I wasn't going anywhere near that guy. Like a couple of days later, this guy named Huggies, we call him Huggies. His name is Hughes. And he recently just beat cancer, which is great. But uh, th- at this time, he was insane. I remember he came up and these guys were day drinking, as they all did. And uh, he comes up and he sees me and, and I'm kind of still looking the same way. And they are pretending to be friendly. This is what I mean. is like, it's like jail. You know, like they're, they're, they're testing you without you knowing it. Hmm. And they're like, Hey man, Hey, you're with, you're with Comanche company. That was the name of my unit. And I was like, yeah. I'm like, Oh dude, we're with Comanche company. And I was like, okay. And he's like, Oh, that's so cool that you're in our unit, man. Do you like the Marine Corps so far? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, Oh, that's great. And he's like, Hey, do you see that wall right there? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, slam your head into it. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, you won't? And he just starts, oof, oof, hitting his head into it. He's like, you won't do that? And, and then I'm like backing away. And he does it so much that I managed to sneak off. And like this guy, I was like, at that, I was like, what is this? I never experienced anything like that in my entire life. And this is not what my recruiter told me I was going to be going through. So, and then later on, like the first couple of nights, you don't get any sleep because all these guys are, just, mind you, you have to be up at like five in the morning. And these guys are still drinking till like 3 a.m. And they're going all through the barracks, seeing if any lights are still on. And they're just banging on doors and windows. Come on, Boots. Come on. We just got to talk to you real quick. Come on. It's cool. Just come. And if you go out there, then you get hazed. And you, you know, then all of a sudden you're running up the hill. You're doing all this stupid stuff. They're asking you, you know, how many rounds can you put out of a 240 golfer? Asking you to do something stupid, like go get me a, a grid square, which literally doesn't exist. Or go get me a, an exhaust fuel uh, sample. And that means, you know, going up with like a plastic bag to a car and getting the exhaust and bringing it back and then being like, I'm like, good. All right. Good job. You know, and th- there's, there's, a, there is a method to it in yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah. And the method is, is that there's going to be chaos. There's going to be things you can't control. You're going to get frustrated and it's going to suck and you just need to handle it. Hmm. And so it, I don't think they realize they're doing that, but yeah. I do think that that's where it came from. And it, and it got really bad when the guys first got back from Iraq. And then there was times where people really got like abused. Another example is like, and a lot of this has been suppressed in the last couple of years, because basically because people found out about it. No. And um, if you picked up a rank, you got snake bites. And so what that meant was when, when Marines get ranks, we have these little pins that can fit into the back of our camis, like needles. And you, you pin them into your camis, and then there's a metal backing that you put on them so it doesn't pierce your skin. Mm. Well, when you first get your rank, say you go from private, which has nothing, to private first class, which has a little chevron. It has these two little needles, and they're right here. And everybody in your platoon gets to come up and punch them into your chest. And so you get two snake, you know, oh my snake bites and they, you know, beat them in every single time. And it hurts every time. Some guys have had them pierce into their bones. Some guys have had permanent, you know, tissue damage because guys just don't know how to, you know, be normal about it and just give them a little jab. Some guys just lose their minds. And then the other one is uh, blood stripes. <laughs> I know this stuff sounds crazy, but blood stripes <laughs> on the Marine Corps uniform. We have blue pants and, and red blood stripes. And there's a certain size, you know, uh, depending on the amount of inches, it's for NCOs, which is the blood that they've sped. And then the officers have larger ones, which represents the blood of the men that they've had to send in a battle. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of symbolism and everything. Well, when you pick up NCO, that's when you get your blood stripes. So that means that everybody gets to come up and beat the hell out of your legs until they turn red so that you have your blood stripes. Oh. And I have friends who literally got like their ACLs broken and shattered and couldn't deploy because they just got their knees beaten and their legs beaten in so bad. Holy shit. And it's like, that's the sort of thing where it's like, there's good traditions that have like some value or that you could do in a way that's not so insane, you know? <laughs> and then like these guys who go way too crazy with it, ruin it. And I almost got in trouble right before I got out because they, they did something called FAP, 
It's like fleet assistance personnel. You get moved from one unit to another. So I was in the infantry and then like three months before I get out, I get moved to combat camera, which is like basically a different branch of the military. I, I went in and I was immediately at parade rest, like a morning gunnery sergeant, Corporal Hill reporting in for duty. And he was all like, don't worry about it. Call me Freddie. I'm like, what? what? You know? And I'm like, this is weird. And this is how like my other friends who've been in the military, this is their experience. Hmm. And so all of a sudden I'm just in a completely different environment with what we would call pogues, which are persons other than grunts. And so that's also a derogatory term, you know? And so if you want to be something like, oh, that guy's not just a boot, he's a pogue ass boot, you know? Like he's, he's not just not on a deployment, but he's also not even a grunt. He's not even a combat uh -huh. arms. Yeah. You know, there's all these terms. And uh, this one kid who had only been in for like two years was picking up corporal. And I just, out of respect for the tradition, went up and I'm not like, it was like this amount of pain, like with my knee on his knee, you know, just a real soft little thing for tradition's sake. Because that's how I feel that traditions are important. I turn around and no kidding, this full bird kernel is like right here on my face. Like his nose is touching my nose basically. And I'm like, I'm looking because I'm like, who is this? And I don't react because I'm saying, what's your rank? Because if, you, if I outrank you, you know, <laughs> and then I see the full bird colonel and he's like what was that marine and then i was like oh it was nothing sir it's just some old tradition he's like just some old tradition you know marines like you marines like you are what ruins this beloved corps and, and, and this guy didn't know me at all this guy but here's the best part is that my boss at the time who was a civilian who had been retired for 20 years and was like a drill instructor in combat and all this stuff 20 years before that mm -hmm. was this colonel's drill instructor in boot camp and so he taps him and then he turns around and cause he's technically a civilian, he outranks this guy in this re mm -hmm. regard. And so the Colonel's now <laughs> being lectured <laughs> and then, and then he's like, excuse me, what's your problem with my Marine? And then he's all like, Oh, nothing. You know, I mean, he's just doing one of those old traditions. He's like, he barely tapped him. And he's like, that's not the point. He's like, well, what is the point? The point is, is it hurts. Right. And he's like, I guess so. And he's like, yeah, you guess so. He's like, I think that's enough Colonel. And he's like, all right, sir. And then he goes away and I'll <laughs> oh, reminded me of Star yes. Wars. You know, the Phantom Menace where they're going through the center of the earth and uh, Qui-Gon is like, there's oh, yeah. always a bigger fish. Always a bigger fish. You know, and it's like, <laughs> bigger fish game. You know, and you know who Got would outrank that guy? His mother. You know what I mean? Like, and then if he was to turn around, his, his mom would be around like, how could you talk to a colonel like that? You know, and then it's like, there's always somebody there. Yeah. Who, so you just got to mind who you're talking oh, to. Man, Those man, traditions, so. huh? And there's people who are, you know, <laughs> really hurt people out of it, <laughs> you know, yeah. take the traditions too far. And then you have the Colonel who thinks those type of traditions are actually hurting the Marines. Yeah. Or That's they, interesting. They assume that, well, cause it does literally physically hurt yeah, Marines sometimes. Yeah, yeah. A snake but, bite stuff was just like, what? <laughs> yeah. As soon as they told me I was happening uh, and like, they explained it to me what was happening. And I was like, you're kidding. And they're like, no. And then I could just tell that I didn't have a choice and maybe I did, but my choice would have been to rat on all of them. Yeah. And, uh, I ain't no rat. Mama didn't raise no rat. So uh, it, it happened. It didn't scar me. I didn't get too hurt from it. But uh, I also got lucky. I had some Marines that protected us. That's what I'm saying, dude. It sounds like jail when I explain it. Because I had like our big, we had this uh, big black. <laughs> sounds like black, chaos. <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it, it's ordered chaos in a weird yeah. way. And we had this, uh, you know, my senior, which is what you would call somebody who's, who has deployed before you or who was in before you, Reggie Lomax. He's from Chicago. This, this big old black dude. I mean, just huge. And there'd be times where these guys would be, you know, banging on our doors to bother us. And he'd come up and he'd be like, what's up, man? You know, like, I think you should just leave my boys alone. You know, we got to be up early in the morning. And all these guys would be like, oh, all right, Reggie. Yeah, you got it. He's like, yeah, that's right. And, you know, and, and he just always had our back. And he was the first guy that was ever like, just call me Reggie, dude. He was really cool because he was getting out. He didn't care anymore. He was so mm. bitter towards the Marines. And Not really. I mean, there's the nice part of that, which is that we got some relaxation, but also he didn't teach us anything to prepare us for <laughs> the deployment. And that yeah. would have been nice. But you know, when you're two months or three months from getting out, 
you don't care anymore. I mean, it's like having senioritis on like a whole other level. You know, your I sentence bet. is almost over. <laughs> so your sentence is almost over. Jeez. <laughs> But yeah, and it takes a long time to like wind down from that and to realize that bet, not yeah. everybody's disrespecting you, that not everybody's out to get you. That, oh, yeah. And not everybody even cares that you were in the military, you know? Mm. <laughs> and it's just, you just got to learn to be a normal person again. And so not everybody can do it. I, I still know guys who's their profile pictures of them in the Marine Corps and they're always, Hoorah, that's right, brother. All right. And you ever seen Jarhead? <laughs> no. Jarhead. Yeah. I they're, think I've seen that movie. Ugh. Great, great movie, even yeah. better book. It's good. Uh, yeah. But uh, there's a part where they like get back and this is during the first invasion of Iraq back in the 90s. Yeah. And they get back and this Vietnam vet like gets on the bus with him and he's like, hell yeah, Marines, that's what I'm talking about. Hell yeah. And you could just tell him, he's like, oh, hell yeah. And he's just thinking of like what he went through and he's so excited for these Marines and all these guys are like, whoa, you know, what's up? But like, I don't want to be like this guy. And <laughs> yet they already are that guy. You know, they just don't realize it. And so, uh, yeah, man. That's freaking wild. Totally weird wild. experience. I had a feeling that it would, the, the conversation would turn into this topic because it is, it's a very unique thing to talk about. I don't know very many other Marine Corps infantrymen. How many of your guys ended up like doing the whole 20 or trying to do 20? Uh, I think I have one friend who stayed in and is a staff sergeant still. Wow. Uh, but uh, not I many. Don't know. Most of you guys were four. In all honesty, I stopped talking to a lot of the guys. I, I, uh, it's hard to. And then it's like, how much do you have in common aside from the fact that you were Marines? And then there's also like a lot of scumbag stuff people do that I think is unforgivable if you do it to another Marine. And so a lot of people did that, you know, and it's, uh, there's honor among thieves, but sometimes not among Marines. Um, don't quote me on that, but <laughs> yeah, anyways. And you I mean, decided to get out, not make it your career, 20 years of and now I'm studying Catholic theology. Crazy. I mean, if you would have been, who would have thought? Uh, if, if you would have asked me a couple of years ago, if I would, especially if I, for one, would have gone to college, I would have said probably not. And then two, if I would have been able to get into graduate school, I never thought I had the intellect for it. Um, and now I'm like, dude, I'm like so smart. <laughs> <laughs> You're here, man. Which is, but, yeah, it's 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 weird. It's um. So did you switch out of Phoenix and then go to Biola? Yeah. And transfer credits or something like that? Some did, of my credits, credits. No, not not very many of my credits transferred into Biola. Quite a few of my Biola credits transferred to Franciscan, actually, those Biola oh, nice. courses. So that was nice. But yeah, it was just this, I don't know how to describe it because it's always it's this constant pulling, uh, this pull, this pull that I always feel. Um, yeah, you, you guys have seen Star Wars, you know? Yeah, yeah. And there's that uh, scene in uh, Phantom Menace, which, mind you, I think the original prequel is much better than one through three. Well, there's a part where little Anakin's looking up into the sky and he's like, do you see all those stars? One day I'm going to go on every single one of them. And I remember being such a pessimist as a kid that I was like, that's literally impossible. You know, <laughs> I was like, you could not do that uh, even if you wanted to, you know, like it would take you billions of years. Mm. And now I'm kind of like, you know, if God's eternal and there's a new heaven and a new earth, I might be able to go and like visit stars and travel to different planets and do all sorts of really cool stuff. Hell yeah. and, and I was like, there's really no limit to what goodness there could ever possibly be. And so that for me is always something I kind of hold in my back pocket whenever I think about some things in the past. And you know, I don't know, it's a, it's a tough subject to broach, but I've done it enough times. I haven't told anybody about the snake bite thing. So that's probably a first. That's, that's so interesting. Yeah. That's, crazy that's stuff, really dude. cool. Did you witness much of a faith life in the Marines? Not, you know, I was the, it's, that's another funny thing is I was the atheist in the platoon that, that talked people out of their faith wow. and uh, had debates with people and the Christians that I did meet were what I think most of American Christians are. 
which is almost like what we would call cultural Catholics. Mm-hmm. You know, like you associate yourself with Christianity because it's what your ancestors had, but you don't know the first thing about it. You couldn't articulate who Christ is, what Christ is, why Christ needed to be um, anything right. really. I mean, it's just fine. If you were to say you're a Harry Potter fan, you could, you, you could name who Dumbledore did the snake and all the, whatever the Wingardium stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not too big into Harry Potter. Shouts out JK Rowling though, you know, um, but it's, you'd think you'd know what you're talking about, but that's usually what I experienced. I very rarely met anybody. Actually, I didn't meet a single person who was a what I would consider like an equivalent of a Franciscan Catholic or Biola Christian who really, really, truly was in love with their faith. Or at least if they were, they, they suppressed it and they hid it well. But I did meet a whole lot of people who were willing to be like, well, maybe, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. But they all knew that they weren't atheists. They all knew that they did believe in God. I remember we had a, a, our vehicle broke down once and I was blamed for it. My staff sergeant was like, you didn't pray this morning, did you, Hill? Because it was obvious that I was the atheist. You know, I was very vocal about yeah. it. And so, no, not much of a, a faith life. We had a, 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 I forgot, my gosh, I forgot his name, a chaplain. And he was a Navy veteran, Chaplain Keener. And he had a very thick Wisconsin accent and he would pray like this. And he was in Vietnam and he was a Marine and then he joined the Navy <laughs> And he would always say these prayers with this thick accent. And our, our unit was called the Wolf Pack, Third Light Armored Reconnaissance Battalion. So they'd always call us wolves and strength of the pack is the wolf, strength of the wolf is the pack. And so he'd use these like dog analogies. And so I would, <laughs> I'd like always kind of do fake prayers and to where like, even like the, the company, the, the company commander would come up and be like, Hill, Hill, do, do the, do the chaplain. And so I'd be like, aye, sir. And be like, uh, good, good evening, Marines. We are here to, to tear our puppy claws into the enemy before they can get to us, you know, in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. <laughs> and, and they did. It just cracked everybody up every time. Oh, but man. I tell you what, if, if you had to choose between some working detail or church on Sunday, you went to church. And so everybody in boot camp is a Christian, basically, because it's like you, it's either you either go with Jesus or you go with the drill instructors and you'll pick Jesus seven days out of the week, man. And wow, that's that's hilarious. So, oh, because I'll give you time off for, for yeah, you get to yeah. be away from them. You get to sing and, you know, act like yeah. a normal human. I mean, there's songs there. There are scriptural songs that people know. Uh, Behold, he comes riding on a cloud. No, 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 no. I don't even remember. But if you start singing that around a Marine, they'll be like, I've heard that somewhere. And it was like in boot camp, you know, when they was in the sad Jubilee, behold his voice, and all the Marines would do that. Out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. And so Marines all knew that. Me and all my friends had our Bibles and we were just, you know, me, atheist is is sin, you know, and just like reading this to my buddy Kyle and being like, do you see this goat's milk is good for this? (laughs) Something from like Hezekiah. And I'd be like, right. You know, not even understanding what I'm reading or anything. And so, but yeah, it's uh, a Marines uh, Sunday service. That's fun, man. They, they are a, they are a trip, but. Would you guys do like praise and worship type stuff? Like music's like, well, you're saying certain hymns like but that. But this, yeah. this is in boot camp. Oh, and this so, is in boot camp. Okay, yeah, okay. so this How is about like- deployments? You had a chaplain that went, went with you guys? If, and, they, if, if they did, I didn't went. I, I didn't go. I didn't oh, care. Oh, really? Okay. Well, yeah. I was an atheist. I was oh, right, like, right, really right. like yeah. Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens tier. Got it, yeah. You know, like I wasn't just like, I don't believe in God. I was like reading the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, those really <laughs> popular atheists in like 2008. And I was pretty- intellectually convinced that all religions were totally false. And if you were a Christian, you were just naive. And the mm. caliber of Christian that I met didn't really give me any reason to think otherwise. Yeah, totally. I'm saying it wasn't until I encountered a Christian with a PhD that I was like, oh, <laughs> and it's sad because for me, this is what I want my whole goal of Franciscan and everything to be. 
uh, and hopefully to get my PhD is just to get people to realize that like you, you may not like Christianity, but you will respect it. You know, uh, you will respect this faith because there's nothing you can say about it that'll, that'll detract from it or make it wrong. My, I told my cousins that the other day, cause they're, they're kind of wishy-washy on anything. And I was like, well, if any of you think that our faith is, is bullshit, then let me know. And, and I will let you know why you're wrong in a loving way. And, um, I guess when I say it in that tone, you know, it sounds pretty <laughs> yeah. scary. You will tell me if you have a problem with Jesus <laughs> you will know. and, and uh, I will correct no, you. No, it's totally great. But, uh, no, cause it's just a, it's a, it's a beautifully fascinating thing. It's the, the arbiter and, and source of Western civilization. And it's just treated like it's uh, Mormonism or something. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like real Catholicism's like, Oh, what you know? You start really like, I had no idea guys like Aquinas existed. And then I was all like, uh, the five ways. And I'm like reading somebody who, who's from what, the 13th century. And then it's like, this guy's doing all this sophisticated philosophy. I thought everybody thought that if you weighed the same as a duck uh, and a piece of wood, that it was a witch. And uh, everybody was just stupid. You know, like I really thought everybody was superstitious that this was the dark ages that, you know, the church was going around being like, did you just say a math equation? Burn him. You know, and it was because... Well, they, everyone brings up like Galileo, like they put him in a what, what, under house arrest because he was doing all this stuff. And yeah. it, it has nothing to do with his actual, like his theory was part of it, but there was a lot of other stuff that Galileo was saying that was against the church that was part of it. But it's all part of a grand narrative of like the medieval ages is some dark ages that just suppresses reason. And yeah. And and then Luther and the Protestant Reformation, then the Renaissance, like we, we figured it out. Then, and that's when things know? got so much better when we found out that we know absolutely nothing mm-hmm. and nothing is real. And, you know, postmodernism and existentialism and nihilism and all that. I remember ditching class when I was like 15 to read Nietzsche. And I was like, I'm so cool. I read Nietzsche. <laughs> Have you ever read Thus Book Zarathustra? Probably not, because you're not as smart as me. That book is so hard to get through. But I went on a Nietzsche phase. Kellen knows this. He knows. I, yeah, he went on a Nietzsche phase, man. Dude, Zarathustra and all these. <clears throat> Nietzsche still to this day is like one of the best, just like. Brilliant mind. Let's say rhetoric in his writing style is just so convincing when you're reading it. Even, even as I was reading it, like, you know. It's very convinced Catholic, but it's very German. It, yeah, it's super German. It's, I can imagine him just being very like, harsh. "That is why the Ubermensch." Totally, and like huge mustaches, yeah. like flapping in the wind or something like that. Yeah, uh, that's so funny. But yeah, the whole narrative in um, did you go to a public high school and uh, yeah, public or, public yeah. schools, public. I mean, How was like atheism? Was atheism kind of uh, starting to be pretty popular? It's, it was being treated like it was equally viable to everything else. Like it was a completely, Mm, I don't know. It's like, it was a sophisticated position. It was kind of like the cool alternative thing. And all my friends were atheists. None of them were Christians. And if we encountered somebody who was a Christian, we kind of, well, my buddy Ari is Orthodox, Armenian Orthodox, but then it was just kind of like, well, we'll let him believe in his talking snakes and his silly stuff. And we won't give him a hard time. His flying spaghetti monsters. Yeah. I remember in like 2013, Bill Nye had a debate with Ken Ham, the, the young earth creationist guy. Hmm. Um, which I've heard some stuff recently that's kind of made me question evolution, but I'm not willing to throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. But just to think at one point, Bill Nye was like a hero of mine. And then even as recently as 2013, he was everybody's hero as a kid. But yep. then now with some of the off the rail stuff he's doing. Oh yeah, totally off the rails. It was like watching my a Super Bowl, you know, like every time he would knock him down with like some scientific thing, me and my buddies <laughs> would have a drink and we'd be like, science, dude, like Christianity, <laughs> zero, science, a million. <laughs> wow. Do, yeah, it, and for so many, and even today, yeah, equally viable. I think it's a really good way to put it. Because like for most kids, it's like, um, yeah, and if you believe Christianity, it's just because your parents did, and maybe you go to church or whatever. But like the real cool intellectual philosophical thing is to be an atheist in a public high school or something like that. Yeah, all my friends when I went to 
who were like, oh, the really smart people. None of them believed in God. None of them. Uh, it was all science, whatever. Um, yeah. And then I, I went on that. I was on like, I read a lot of apologetic works. So um, uh, like the handbook of Christian apologetics, you know, all the different arguments for God's existence, all this type of stuff. And um, yeah, I just gave up trying to convince a, a number of these really intellectual atheists because I was just like, I don't know. As much as you can provide a defense, they have this whole narrative of, of, of reality that you have to kind of like start poking into. And it's yeah, it's really difficult. And so I see the viability of praying for them because there is a certain element where it's like, it's, it, it, it can't be me. I can't, there's nothing I can do. Cause I've, I've said the most sophisticated to, to me, they're knockdown arguments. It yeah. is, it's like one plus one equals two. Right. And I've asked some of my friends that question and they've, they've refused to answer. I'm not even kidding. They're that far gone where I'm like, does one plus one equal two? What does that have to do with anything? Just answer the question. What does it have to do with anything? <laughs> Just answer it. And I was, because there is such thing as objective truth, you know, and, and not for a lot of these people, you know, and, and that's, that's what's crazy. funny is that if yeah. you're going to say that there's no such thing as, ap- as absolute truth, then you're saying that that statement is absolutely yeah, true. That's exactly and, and it's just thinking. so silly. Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff where I think people have been sniffing and enjoying the smell of their own farts for like the last <laughs> 20 years, really. And I think somebody needs to come with some rose flavored, rose smelling perfume and be like, you know, like this is what it's actually really nice to smell. You know, you don't have to keep smelling your own farts, man. There's better scents out there. Yeah, I love that. If you think there's no absolute truth in that statement that you just said isn't true. Yeah, no, totally. And it's crazy. People are trying to find that meaning. Once you take God out of the equation and like salvation, heaven, Christ, then you're going to look for meaning somewhere. Yeah. One of the things I said over this whole, you know, the, the quarantine and then all the other political debacle and then BLM and all that, which I agree with the, 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 the essential statement that black lives matter and all lives matter. But what I asked my friends, cause we don't, I don't want to go on that tirade, but what I asked my friends was why does any life matter at all? Why does anyone's life have any meaning at all? Period. Because you can't say that we've all evolved and that there's no point and no meaning and that everything's relative and it's say la vie. No. While at the same time, you know, saying that there are moral imperatives that everybody must adhere to, to, and otherwise you were evil, which you don't consider to even exist. And it's just this, this horrible period of intellectual schizophrenia that, that has just infected everybody. But the worst part is, is that they, they think that they're so damn smart and that they just know <laughs> everything. The amount of people that I've met since I've become Catholic. And even when I tell them, I'm like, you do realize I study Catholic theology at the graduate level and I have a minor in biblical education. So, I, and I'm not saying that to be braggadocious. I'm simply saying I do have a little bit more weight here in my authority and my understanding. And they're like, yeah, I know, but I went to Sunday school <laughs> every Sunday for like seven years. And I grew up in the church. So uh, I think I know what I'm talking about. Like, are you talking with fellow Catholics? No, 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 oh, no, no. no. Okay. They, these are my friends who, who have been that Protestants, type, that, like- that type of Christian who, no, no, not Protestants will at least be able, Protestants will go tit for tat with you on scripture. Yeah, for sure. They'll be totally wrong on all their interpretations, Absolutely. but they know <laughs> scripture. You know, I'm just talking about people who they know, like culturally Christian. Noah's Ark, you know, or like my buddies, like, listen, I was reading Genesis uh, the other day, Genesis six. And basically the Nephilim are like biologically uh, engineered aliens. And uh, they're who mated with man. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard that that actually just meant like they were big people, maybe even like big personalities. And I was like, or just very tall. And I was like, because angels don't have reproductive organs. And they're like, yeah, but that's just like the Catholic <laughs> church's interpretation of it. And I'm like, like if you only knew. <laughs> if only you knew. And that's why it's like, father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. And it's like, you know, you're, you're just so far off base. But that's why I just, I pray for them. Because some people you could, you could make the most wonderful, sophisticated Aquinas-like argument. And it, it was just like nothing. And so it's just 
pray, pray, pray. I've heard, because I don't know how much time we have left. I don't want to. Plenty. Okay, Plenty. I don't, I don't as, mu- as long as you want to go. I, it, we're at, what, 530 or something like that? So I have to go actually soon because I... I and I've run 540. If we have 540, okay. Yeah, I'm we got very good at picking up body language. <laughs> <laughs> you can get out of here. Me and Steve will keep Sorry, I, I, I have to go pick up my car or else it won't be ready. So, or it's ready, but it won't. No, no, no. I got to I gotta six. polish up a paper too, but... um. I also have to take a big right, leak. Get out of here. So we'll, like, we'll I'm going gonna, gonna to use the bathroom really quick and I'll be right back. Big leak. I want to go theology for a second though. Shouts uh, out to big leaks. This big is your leaks. first, this is your first year Catholic theology. Well, this is your first year being Catholic. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Welcome to the, the Catholic world. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, and here's something too. When I was, so I, I'm cradle Catholic. I've been Catholic. My family has 11 kids. Uh, I'm the oldest of 11. Um, my dad's actually a convert. Um, from, he was Baptist for a while. He was atheist for a few years in his college years. And then he became Catholic because of my mom really, and, uh, had a big intellectual conversion of the faith. So I've always been raised Catholic and I had a, let's say like a philosophical theological awakening when I was like sophomore year, started reading Aquinas, all, all sorts of guys. I've been reading them since, um, all these Catholic authors. When I showed up at Franciscan, well, this would be four years ago now. I was like, dude, I got it down. Catholic <laughs> theology, I know it all, right? I'm going to teach my professors. They're going to learn from the, the fount of wisdom of what I've learned. <laughs> and man, did I get humbled like the, the first few, you know, the first year I was like, wow, I actually don't know a lot. This There's so, and, and still like sitting here today after four years, I'm like, I don't know shit, man. Mm-hmm. There's so much in this Catholic world that I'm barely scratching the surface and learning new stuff. And it's, Anyway, so I, I'm just really encouraged by that. You have, there's so, and I'm sure you're recognizing it. There's yeah. so much to know and to learn. And, and um, it's a huge world. It's and a huge and world. there's no end. And I mean, you would think if there was a cap, Scott Hahn would have found it. You know, like that guy, I can tell it's hard for him to lecture because he's trying to compress just decades of information into these short little like uh, bite-sized forms. I bet you if you could put what he knew inside of like a computer chip and then put it into other people's brains, it would overwhelm them. Like it would like, it would, it would like snap them in half. Short circuit it. Yeah. You know? And, um, but I, I also would say that it's, it's extremely intimidating intellectually for sure, but I've never felt like it's something that I can't at least try. And I've also felt, and that's a big reason why I'm studying it, that there's nothing else worth studying with this much effort, mm. there's nothing else that like, okay, I'm into, maybe I would be intimidated on, uh, I don't know, learning the, the, the greater and finer aspects of Shakespearean language or something like that. His, his use of English, that would be really intimidating to me, but I could learn it, but I don't think it's worth the same. I don't, I don't think you get the same fruit as learning a, about Christ. I mean, and totally. learning about the divine. So I guess it's like, if I am going to put my blood, sweat and tears into something, I think this is like the best thing to do it with. Oh yeah, Totally. Yeah, no, the Catholic world is, it's huge. <laughs> what can you say? I mean, we had 2000 years of thinkers and theologians and people thinking about this stuff, dedicating their lives to it. And and that's the thing is that that's what basically everybody is fundamentally lied to about all the time. I never once heard of any of the history of the Catholic church or would I, nor would I have known that it had existed for 2000 years. You know, I just, I didn't know. Even when I, I sent my grandma something and it was from these like, it was like the first three centuries of the church and it was about them defending, I think against the Arian heresy. Mm-hmm. And so obviously my grandma believes that Jesus is fully God, fully man. She's Orthodox in that degree by the grace of God. Thank God. And, um, 
you know, I was like, what do you think of this? You know, what do you think of these arguments that these guys are making? And then she's like, I haven't even heard of, you know, Saint, who, who was it? The main one that said, who's the hammer of her? Saint Athanasius, you know, like yeah. <laughs> I haven't even heard of Saint Athanasius. I don't know. I, I don't see him in the Bible anywhere, you know, so I wouldn't really know if I could trust him and, you know, we're all saints. And I'm like, grandma, okay, sure. Okay. But this still happened. <laughs> you know, it mm-hmm. occurred in history. <laughs> and there was a lot of bitterness I had almost towards, towards my family and, and almost like the culture at large, when it's just like, why are you lying to me? It's almost like finding, I, I tell I say this all the time. It's like finding out Santa Claus was real this whole time. When you're, when you're almost 30 years old, <laughs> you know, and you're like, wait a minute, he's really real yeah. there. Somehow he has reindeer that managed to go across. How does he do that? Wouldn't he have to be going like 62 million miles per second? Wouldn't the friction in, in the air cause him to burst in flames and all, <laughs> all the reindeer and all that? And they're like, you would think that, but but you got to study Santa a little bit more. I'm sorry. He did exist this whole time. And it's all like, wow, you liars, <laughs> yeah. you know, and as you just feel duped. And yeah. uh, I almost feel like that's why I have just a, a lot of empathy for people who don't believe. And I always kind of like the thing is like, they don't believe yet. And like, yeah, cause I would hope it's almost like, if you only knew, like if you only knew the things that I knew, then maybe you would, you'd believe in these things. But I don't know. Jesus, or Judas hung out with Jesus for how, how long? And he still, you know, betrayed him. And so, yeah, I mean, theology for me, it was when, when I was getting my political science undergraduate, I wound up writing my senior thesis on, I called it reformation or revolution, a requiem for the truth. And it was whether or not the Protestant reformation was what Merriam-Webster would define as a reformation, or if it was what Merriam-Webster would define as a revolution. And I obviously concluded it was not a a reforming of a pre-existing institution, the Catholic church. It was a total out and out revolution from it with mm-hmm. brand new theology and brand new everything. Yeah. And just coming to that conclusion, it, it just, I don't know, it, it entrenched me into this position that like, this is a good hill to die on. Finally, you know, I've always been really good at like, I don't know if you can tell I'm great at talking. I can talk forever. <laughs> me too, I, man. I, I, I am like, uh, it's, it, it's, but, and I've always been very good at debating. And I think you, you have that uh, gift as well, Thanks. but I've had, Nowhere really to direct it that would have been considered like rightly ordered. You know, like I might've been able to go and and maybe fight and die for like a politician and maybe get him elected or, you know, some sort of earthly struggle. And, uh, but this is finally something where I'm like, this is, this is what I should use this for. This, this fits and and it's, and it's good. It's not, uh, you know, it's not (laughs) evil. And so it's like, that's what I meant when it's like you, Anakin's looking up the stars and it's like, okay, finally they're not so inaccessible I can get there one day. I just have to hold fast and, you know, take care of things now. It, it's not, they're, they're, they're not an eternity away. They're only an incomprehensible amount <laughs> yeah. away, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it goes yeah. back to what you're saying about being liberating too. Like, okay, now I know what the hill is to die on. Like I know I would die for the faith and I'm going to die defending it. And it's like, and you know, it's true. Yeah. Like, and you apprehend that. And the liberation goes hand in hand with freeing you from error. Really? I mean, I don't think I'm, I'm in a negative way binded to the magisterium. I think the magisterium frees me uh, because it allows me to know what is and isn't true. I liken it to like if a video game programmer could, I don't know where I come up with these analogies. <laughs> They're great, dude. But like, I love them. you know, you know how if you're, I don't know if you've played like the Elder Scrolls, any of those role-playing games, played, or Skyrim and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But like every once in a while in the game, you'll come across something that's been like divinely revealed. And it's basically, and you know that it's the people who made the game, the script writers and stuff, revealing to you something about this universe that only you're really like privy to. But you know that it's objectively true because the programmers of the game put it in there. You know, it's real in that world. Mm -hmm. 
And that's how I feel about the scripture in light of the magisterium. It's like, I know that this is real in this world because of the authority of the magisterium and where it came from. And so I don't have to worry about, you know, uh, whether or not God is, Jesus is fully God or fully man. Uh, it's, it's, it's not like they invented it, but they reaffirmed a truth in perpetuity and and it's never going to change. And that is great to not have that anxiety of like so many Protestants where, you know, one day we're the United Methodist church and one day we're the second United Methodist (laughs) church, you know, and it's kind of like, how does that work? And so it's very liberating and it's liberating. I think just to try and it, it, it's hard to stay in a state of grace, but then it's kind of like, you know, if I die right now, thank God it's right now. You know, it, it's, uh, I'm not enslaved right now. I'm free to die right now. And that's a good feeling, you know, memento mori. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the only, the only caveat and the only thing that I don't like about theology is that it makes me, and makes us so much more accountable, I think, mm. because we are fully, you know, we have all the requirements of knowing what a mortal sin is. Maybe we have the habituation and maybe we have some of those other, you know. Yeah, we can't uh, rely on some ignorance or something like that. Yeah. It's like we know more. Exactly. About, you know, and and yeah. there's like a responsibility that comes with it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we know this stuff. Like, we can't just sit on it, you know, and just be like, oh, well, I'm content, you know. Yeah. It, it fit in my intellectual framework. And now, and therefore I can just like, oh, well, I'm at ease now. Now yeah. I'm not like, but like, no, there's a responsibility for you to actually be communicating that, teaching that, living that is a huge part of it, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, it's overwhelming, but, but freeing. I mean, you talk about responsibility and it is one of those things where people kind of like, well, you need to keep, you know, keep your religion to yourself. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but my religion wasn't started by some dude in, in Germany or some dude uh, in India or some dude in China. No. It was started by God himself in the Middle East uh, based off of a precedence of God already revealing himself for thousands of years. I mean, you remember that prophecy in Daniel, we were talking about the 490 years thing. Blow your mind, man. Daniel 7. And and just that one. And it's all like, okay, so God has existed. He's communicated. There's precedent. This makes sense. That's why I I believe, I mean, it's it's made by God. Mm. And I think that that needs to be the most important thing. I think if more Christians understood the incarnation in that sense, that they just naturally have more of an appreciation for their faith. Because if you just think, like I think a lot of people do, that Jesus was the uh, lowercase son of God. <clears throat> you know, he was the, uh, just like this preferred dude, you know, God was like, that's my boy. You know, I love that guy and I'm going <laughs> to let him die for all of you. So you better feel bad for it. You know, but he's my chosen one, you know, he's just kind of anger, just for no out. reason. He just kind of picked this guy and said he was his son. Yeah. But then if it's like, Oh no, this is, you know, God, the, the father, father who yeah. eternally loves, you know, the, the, the lover and the eternally beloved, eternally begets, you, you, you know, and all, yeah, we're starting sounding like Dr. Han, but you know, this, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, this, uh, this, this, this beautiful dichotomy and this, this realization that this is like pure love itself in the form of man fully. And I mean, that's just so wild. And, and he degrades himself. Fulton Sheen has this wonderful thing where he's like omnipotence in bonds, infinity made dumb, maker of the stars, under the stars, creator of the wood, nailed to the wood, you know, like all of these just wonderful things where it's like you you vastly underestimate who this is and what this is on the cross. And it's not just some silly little story. I mean, it's the greatest story ever told. I mean, it, it really truly is. And I, I, I think that's why it's called the gospel. And I do think that there is something going on because I know I'm not the only one Converting, I, I think there is a, a miracle of modern conversion going on right now, and uh, 
I know I look like a convert, you know, uh, <laughs> but it, I have friends who are suddenly who have been diehard Greek Orthodox. And I know that they're schisms and they're still, you know, our brothers and stuff. But yeah. even he, as much as he has a disagreements with the Pope, which I think a lot of us can relate to on some things, he's still kind of coming to that point where he's like, I, even if I disagree with this Pope, I have to recognize some of the stuff I'm seeing in Acts. I have to recognize some of this historical precedent. I have to acknowledge the great schism. You know, I have to, there's this slow push towards, I think, people reacting or revolting against the modern world by going back into, you know, the ancient world, which is both ancient and new. You know, it's this really, I think it's a an interesting and beautiful moment to kind of be standing on the precipice of post-Christian civilization <laughs> and being the yeah. ones who are going to be like, all right, let's yeah. see who stays on the ark with us and let's see who we can get on <laughs> before we just start going down to the waterfall, you know? And uh, that, it's, it's exciting, man. It Super is. exciting. Man, and for me as like a, a cradle Catholic, okay, the temptation for me um, is, you know, going to a Han class or going to... And I've been, you know, reading theology for a while and I'm by no means have, you know, I'm like, oh, I know all this stuff. The temptation for me is to just, oh, well, some really amazing thing like Daniel 7 or something. Oh, well, that fits, you know, into the intellectual system that I've kind of assented to. Great. Cool. And oh, oh, here's the next building block. Okay. Put it there. Right. And, and you just have this kind of like whole intellectual system where mm-hmm. everything's consistent and it's true, but you just push it there. And then you say like, oh, well, your life, uh, you know, you still live your life, but then during class time, you're actually like fitting different philosophical things together and different theological things. And it's all fitting this big system, but it doesn't really make an impact on your every everyday life or what you're doing. Or um, That's the temptation for me, having done theology for a while and whatever, is just to make it kind of like your, your intellectual hobby or something like that. I yeah. Suppose. Or you could find little, I, I know I kind of did that when I was like looking up like, well, how does a catechism feel about, uh, you know, like cannabis and mushrooms. And, and so I like look it up and, and, you know, it's basically like drugs can only really be used in like severe, you know, medical situations, you know, like, uh, uh the, I'm probably butchering the language, but it was relatively loose enough for me to just lawyer the heck out of it, you know? And I was like, mm, serious. Well, what's serious. And, uh, perhaps it's this way and maybe I could do. And then it's kind of like that. I think that that's that temptation or, it's like, well, if I do commit this sin, I can make it to confession on this day before I make it to mass. And then I can receive the Eucharist. And then you're kind of trying to play this game with the sacraments and this game with God, where it's like, I know you're going to forgive me. So I'm kind of going to do what I want. But then it's like, oh, well, that's the sin of presumption. And then, you know, it's kind of this, this <laughs> like constant- Catholics have thought of like pricing it in, like, oh, no, dude. it's presumption. And then if you're doing that, it's that. And and so it's, that's one of those things where I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, I've noticed that a lot of people have a very sophisticated- uh, spiritual life while they might not be able to articulate the equivalent thing that I can yeah. intellectually. No. And that's preferable to the Absolutely. kind of intellectual, let Absolutely. me fit in all the pieces. Like, Oh yeah. You stop me on the street and I can give you, you know, Athanasius's description of the incarnation and his different theological things and whatever. And then the person who, you know, knows none of that, but has a deep spiritual connection and a deep connection with Christ. Like that's preferable all day to yeah. what this just like intellectual faith. Is. Right before I, my baptism. So Lent of 2019, there was 40 men from my parish and we did something called 40 for 40. And so I volunteered because I wanted to go into my baptism or what I thought was my confirmation. I wanted to come into the church clean. You know, mm-hmm. it was basically, you know, purgatorio, you know, like get it off me. I, I want to cleanse myself as much as I can. And so it was 40 days of no hot showers, working out every day, daily rosary, 
you know, the Exodus 90? Yeah. It was basically that, but a lot shorter. Okay. Um, and then at least four days in perpetual adoration, because we, we had a perpetual adoration at our parish. Nice. And it was the first time that I had ever really sat, for one, in the presence of our Lord, and two, in silence, which is just terrifying, really, to, to be left alone with your thoughts all the time and then kind of be like thinking like, okay, well, I'm supposed to be focusing on you and you're a piece of bread, you know, <laughs> like, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, like this is so, but I noticed that throughout that 40 days, there's this one lady, I don't know how, but no matter what, if I went there in the morning, if I went there at night, if I went there on a Monday, if I went there on a Friday, she was there mm-hmm. always right up, right in front of our Lord. And whatever that woman knows is probably worth so much more than everything that I could learn in college, you know, and there is something really beautiful about that, that childlike faith. And I think that there's, we, we always need to have those people, but then it's also like, thank God we do have kind of the, I don't know, the swords who are able to go out with the, with the swords and the shields and kind of be like, okay, well, we're going to protect these people from your intellectual onslaughts and maybe they'll give us spiritual graces, you know, because that's the, the beautiful thing about being in one body is that not all of us have to be, you know, this exact same way. <laughs> yeah. But I totally agree. I, I wish, I don't want to say dumb it down because I think that's unfair, mm-hmm. but I wish I could, I don't know accept it like I can accept that I'm breathing like air. a child's faith. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, doesn't Christ say in the gospels, like unless you, um, enter the kingdom, like a child, you know, uh, I can't remember the full quote. Yeah. But you have to have that like childlike faith in the father and whatever else. And I, I feel the temptation for me is to be like, Oh no, I know how Catholicism works. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I got it. I, I, I've acquired the knowledge, right? It's like, impacted now and all the systems figure out that's how i was but then when, when it I, comes to my life it's like ah, well <laughs> yeah and that's how i was when i went up to to my priest when i was telling him you know like i'm catholic now yeah. and he's like no you're not i'm like trust me i get it i know mm-hmm. and then you know like maybe six months into the rcia i'm like poking his brain every day i'm like father what about this like what do you think about justification in this regard because i'm watching this protestant james white and he's saying he's like steve he's this vietnamese guy he's like steve 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 he's fine you don't <laughs> You don't have to do all these that, things. That it's fine is, I've met a lot of Vietnamese priests, is the, perfect. <laughs> That's a like, perfect guy. You're trying to learn 2,000 years worth of history in a few months. That's crazy. You're fine. Your Vietnamese accent you know, is very uh, good. <laughs> dude, he was, he was oh, an excellent, awesome. excellent priest. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember when, when we were doing the 40 for 40, like each, each weekend we had a meeting with all the men. And if you missed one, you were dropped. And so it was very serious, but it, it was about, you know, one was about patriotism. The other was about family. The other was about fatherhood. And the other one was about like chastity or something like that. And no. I remember asking him, cause at the time I was 27, now I'm 29. And I was like, father is a 27 year old man full of testosterone in this super sexualized secular world. You know, how on earth am I supposed to avoid some of these sins? You know, I, I can't turn on my TV. I can't do any of this. What do I do? Do I just splash water on my face? And, and then he's like, yes splash water on your face. And I'm like, and then he like looks at me and he's like, and then one more important thing, run away, run away from sin. And then he was like, don't let it get to you. Run away from sin, Steve. And I was like, yes, father. Then, you know, <laughs> he's like, okay. You know. That's hilarious, man. Those Vietnamese priests are awesome. I'm in San Diego and we have like a parish that's like 50% Vietnamese or whatever. Yeah, man, they've been through some crap, you know. Dude, his, awesome. his dad was murdered by the communists oh, in, a, in a car bomb. And his mom, I think, was killed after, shortly after. So he's a, a refugee to America, becomes a Catholic priest, or, or at least goes to school for it, becomes fluent in like Italian, English, all these other languages. It's just funny to see this guy who really takes 
his, his ability to speak English and everything so seriously. And like, he'd have a, what's it called when, when they, the, the song that they sing on Easter the exultant, uh, or and it's like an hour long. It's so long. Wow! Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And the, when the one we had, Father C, who's who's been a priest for 20 years, you know, he has this kind of an accent, but it's not that bad. And then there, I forget the name of the other priest, but he had the still full like the Vietnamese inflections that sound like this. You know, mm-hmm. like that kind of thick yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah. And so he's doing these like Latin Christian sort of, he like, I'm done when the God came and dug it. And I remember Father C being like, oh, thank God we only have to hear that once. Right, everybody? <laughs> and everybody's like, the other father's like looking down. He's like, it's okay, brother, come here. He's like, you will get better with time. And uh, he's just like a real good man. But I mean, that, he, that immigrant's mentality is just like, uh, dude, it's so, great. you know, he's it's like, so awesome. The communists killed my parents. You know, the, the communists tried to kill my country. He's like, no. what don't I have to love about America? This country's given me everything. It's given me so many opportunities. And he instilled that in all of us. Totally. All, all of us who are already Americans who, you know, and I, I thought I was very patriotic at the time, but now I understand patriotism in like a rightly ordered way. It's mm. not, you know, blind fealty and just, no. uh, I don't know, total submission. It's, oh, you weren't in class today, but it, it's, you know, it's like, uh, I forget, he, he used some Latin, but he was like, that's why Catholics can be America first and then he said something like nuke secunde, you know, he's like Catholic first sometimes, you know, and it was like, there's a, there's a caveat there. There is yeah. a little bit of a wiggle room as to when we should always be America first. And I think that's the rightly ordered way of going about it. But. No. Yep. Instead of, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Maybe we could move there for a second. I'm interested because your, your experience as a Marine, your experience, um, yeah, with the American government, whatever. Uh, and I'm trying to navigate too, cause I have a number of professors here who are, um, not, not like being anti-patriotic or anything like that, but like, how do we as Catholics operate in this American system that it's even a discussion that murdering babies is a bad thing, yeah. right? Or like, how did we get to the point where, like, how do we as Catholics operate in a society that is that just believes Catholicism is one of many religions, and you can do that, and you can do that. We really don't care, right? From the American government perspective, there's all these religions running around, and as long as they don't mess with politics, and they don't mess with our money, they can do whatever the hell they want. They can believe whatever the hell they want. Catholics are that weird group that are like, oh, wait, are they going to try and like take over our, our country or something like that? Um, and then... How could I put it? Yeah, your opinions on America and Catholicism. I said, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just put it extremely. I, I, I'm sure you've watched Father Mike Schmitz uh, he, from bit. Ascension Presents. Yeah, he he was also a really good uh, resource for my conversion. At first, I was kind of scared of his videos because he was so kind. I've always been very scared <laughs> of kind people. Huh. Like, Hi, I'm Father Mike Schmitz. And yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. Why do you smile? Why do you look so happy, you weirdo? You know. But then I'm just kind of like, okay, that's just that's just old Mikey boy. But he had a video recently and he was like, I think it was like, when is it okay to give up hope? And um, basically the point of his argument was there was another time in history where there was only maybe 12 apostles who had no uh, scriptural training, who had no theological training, who for the most part were just uneducated fishermen who just knew basically the gospel and knew that they had to proliferate it. And um, he's like, so there's been a time where we had no money and we had none of these things. We had none of that. And we were living in a hostile government and we did make it through that. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I guess that's just kind of like, I don't want to ever give up hope. 
And honestly, for a while, especially like after being alone with COVID and all that for so long, cause I just stayed in my trailer the whole time. I grew a beard. I looked like Ted Kaczynski, you know, the Unabomber. <laughs> and, um, I just remember thinking like, man, I'm going to move to Poland. At least Jesus is their King literally. And, and I was all like, and, uh, you know, they have values and America is not, it's not worth a damn anymore. You know, it's like, I can't believe that they've just completely lost the plot, but I feel like that's almost irresponsible because America isn't just like an idea. It's, it's people within it, you know? Totally. Yeah. And so I honestly, I, I, I loved, <laughs> I, I went in 2015 in June of 2015, when, as soon as Trump went down that escalator, I was like, that dude's going to be president. And I was laughed at so hard, especially by my friends who legitimately work for the Republican party. And they're like, okay, Steve, um, <laughs> we've seen the polls and we've been doing this for years. All right. So, uh, maybe just sit down. Okay. <laughs> And I was like, all right, well, you've never hung out with working class people in your entire life. You're one of those sniff your own farts types, you know? (laughs) And then it's like a a year later, boom, I was right. Uh And I honestly feel like not necessarily Trump in his personality, but what he's doing and what has been enabled is almost like an olive branch. It's like one last total, you know, it's like, this is it, you know, like, because where you guys are headed, it's a bad place. And he says it explicitly in like his speeches and his campaign stuff. He's like, it's me or this chaos that's coming past it. And I think that's the reason why like Catholics should vote for Trump in this election. However, it's how, how long are we, you know, are we going to have another Trump type guy come in again? And, and that's what I've been trying to tell my friends as I was like, if you don't vote for these systems to be set up in a way that can protect us for a couple of years, yep. then the next time uh, an election comes around, there's not going to be an election. I, I really don't. I think I feel like they have that that kind of power and pull, and it's going to be. Oh yeah, I think they already have it. Yeah. Whoever they ha- whoever they put in will make sure that nobody like Trump can ever be put in. In other words, nobody who didn't go you know through Yale and Skull and Crossbones and is part of the Good Old Boys Club and uh, is part of a well connected infrastructure part of the tech companies. Yeah, yeah, this rootless. Rootless cosmopolitan elite that don't seem to care about anything, but, but, you know, this, this globalistic, uh, I don't, I don't want to say new world order, but it certainly feels that way. Oh, totally. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I get that a lot that, that Trump rubs people the wrong way, but, you know, I have friends from Biola, uh, who, you know, they sent in a group chat, you know, like I voted for Condoleezza Rice for president. It was like, uh, you know, cause I'm not going to, I still can't bring myself to do that. And I thought, uh, I think it's Matthew 26 or something. It's like every every careless word will be rendered on your account. You know, it's like, uh, you're not just going to be able to, if you had an opportunity to save lives, if you had an opportunity, I mean, that's literally what this is. I mean, if Roe v. Wade can get overturned at the federal level and can instead go down to the States, countless lives will be saved. I mean, you had the opportunity to save lives. And you said, how hopeful are you of that? Of of this election? Well, let's just say Coney Barrett. Let's say she gets in. How hopeful are you abortion gets maybe thrown to the States, reduced, whatever. Because of my polygrad, I have a rudimentary understanding of, of the legal system and, and Supreme Court cases and stuff like that. No. And so I know that there has to be some sort of judicial to be pre- a case precedent or case to go up. And, and the only one I can think of, I think was in Kentucky, where this it was a father who his, his girlfriend or his wife aborted the baby without letting him know. And so it was called like Baby Roe. And it, and it wound up going up, I think, to the Kentucky Supreme Court. And then it stopped there. Hmm. And so that might be something that can be done and then can be can go up to the highest things. How likely is it to happen? Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to put a 50 or, you know, what's your over under on it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but Amy Comey Barrett, if she's anything like they say she is, which is like Scalia, an originalist in, in interpreting the Constitution, 
which is good. Not a living constitutionalist, which you may as well just call a postmodernist or a relativist. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, a cultural, cultural relativist. Um, then, then issues like Scalia and we have a majority of that, then it might get overturned at the same time. Sadly, the amount of political blowback that that would cause. I mean, it's sad that people would lose their minds that much over not being able to terminate a pregnancy. Hmm. I mean, because if you even so much as bring it up, like, well, what about maybe once the baby's born, it can live? Like, no, you know, and it's like, never. And it's like, that's demonic. You know? Oh, totally, it's, yeah. No, the whole system's demonic, yeah. Yeah. My overarching question is, at what point do we as Catholics say, okay, as like the Republicans are no longer working, like their movements of, oh, let's appease the Christians, let's appease the Catholics. Like, because I don't see them really caring about this. Some do about the pro-life stuff. Most, most of them just care about getting the voters out of it. At what point do we say as Catholics, like we're no longer going to continue just to be, you know, I'm, I'm talking about faithful Catholics, obviously. <laughs> like there's half of us who yeah, are not voting Biden, for not the, the Biden Pelosi Catholics. Correct. Um, receive communion. When do we exit the system? I suppose. And like, just say you, like, when do we execute the Benedictine option? Is that what you're asking? I mean, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, for our listeners who might not know the Benedictine option is basically like escaping society and just living together almost in like communes or, or, or as fellow Catholics. Um, gosh, we're kind of doing that with Steubenville in a way. You oh, know dude, I, mean? I, yeah. I, that's a, per, I, totally I, think, I had yeah. a personal Benedictine option. I left Sodom and Gomorrah in California. Yeah. Yeah. You totally did. Yeah. Came here, I, mean, you know? I, left California I think too. you did I'm the here. same thing. Yeah. <laughs> And so in a way that that is what we're doing, but I don't, I don't know, because I feel like for me, and maybe this is a very radical and some would probably consider it an extremist position, but if we want to say that abortion is objectively evil and abortion is objectively murder, and at the same time, slavery was objectively a reduction of the dignity of human individuals, and that warfare was justified in order to secure the freedom and dignity of other human beings, that maybe the only way in order to stop this sort of issue would be a similar course of action. Um, it's sadly- No, totally. I, I, it'll, it'll be like, there if we, let's say a judge came down, no more abortion in the United States, it'd be an apocalypse. It would literally be civil war. You'd have like states seceding. What do you mean I can't own a man? That's what I equated to. What do you mean I can't own a human <laughs> yeah, being? Yeah. That's why when no, I hear- and this is worse. This is, it, what do you mean I can't kill my children? I hear people like, there's this, I have a neighbor who's, you know, Catholic. And she's like, yeah, you know, with abortion, I- would I let my daughter do it? No. But if somebody else wants to do it, then I, and I was kind of like, you know, would I let my friend own a slave? No. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if, if, if somebody if they else want wants to, to do I mean, it, I mean, who am I to judge? Yeah. You know, and, and I don't think, I, I think if people really put their money where their mouth is, then they would feel like this needs to be done by, by any means necessary. And it would be justifiably so. I don't think that means burning down abortion clinics, but I do think it means an actual concerted, threat of consequences if human dignity isn't secured. I mean, people always say 60 million, but I don't think that's even close to the number because this is 60 million individuals. This isn't the countless people who were descended from them. My great grandma, Plassi the Hustle, she had 13 kids. Okay. And from that, my cousins, like my family on my mom's side, the Mexican side is probably like 150, 200 people. Those 200 people are probably going to have maybe another four or six, you know, and then you keep going down the line, 200, 300, 400,000 people, maybe in, in oh 10 or gosh, 20 generations. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. So 60 million people really isn't even close to it. I mean, it, it, in wow. reality, it's yeah. like hundreds of uh, probably trillions, For sure. you know, of people who could have been here and countless are not. souls. And, and are so, not. and 
when I think of it that way, I, that's why I don't understand what the counter argument that I always hear is, well, it would make us look bad and well, it would cause violence here. And it's like, well, would any of us say that violence wasn't worth securing the, the, the freedom of, of, of Africans here in America? I don't think anybody would say that. But I also don't think anybody here would do the same thing that those men did back then. And so- Why don't uh, we have abolitionists? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. And somebody yeah. brought this up and we had a Trump debate, actually, Veritas Society. Um, and it was whether faithful Catholics must vote for Trump in the upcoming election. And one of the guys was like, yeah, how many times have I been to the March for Life? I don't know if you've been to the March for Life before. Not yet. Yeah. We we have a trip here at Franciscan. A lot of kids go. Uh, we send a bunch of buses out to DC and they all march and stuff. He said, I can't count how many times I've gone to the March for Life. We all kind of say like, wow, we, we got one, you know, a little sliver more on this abortion stuff. And then we call it, we all march the Supreme Court, pat ourselves on the back and go home. Yeah. He said, I can't count how many times I've done that. And I'm just sick of doing that. He said, why don't we just like sit, sit in front of the Supreme Court for weeks until they move us and just say, we're not moving until you get abortion done and we're going to stop working and we're going to just be here in DC and screw your lives over until you make something happen. Like, where is the radicality of like the early abolitionist, um, like you're making the, the parallel. I mean, they were pretty radical and oh, they yeah. got the Republican Party to assimilate them with Lincoln and then brought it, brought on, you know, the Civil War. I mean, it, it was a, it had to, it pretty much had to end in that, in that, you know, maybe it could have gone better or whatever, but it was really an America having to fight itself to figure out like, what, what are we going to do? What's our future? I don't know. Where's that radicality now with abortion? I think the difference is... And really, it only is, is for one that the prevailing culture has brainwashed everybody into thinking it's just a clump of cells and it's a woman's right and all that. But also, huh, yeah. back then, you would have had to have seen people in 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 chains. You know, you would have seen the inhumanity of it. Um, and maybe some people would have been far removed. But I remember, have you seen Lincoln with uh, Daniel Day Lewis, uh, the movie that came out in like twenty twelve? Mm, no, I didn't. Excellent, excellent film. I had no idea the political machinations Lincoln did to to free the slave. He did some honestly almost tyrannical stuff, <laughs> like really pushing the boundaries of what's right to do as a president yeah. in America, at least, but he, he got it done mm-hmm. very in a very Machiavellian way. Um, but in that movie, his son chances upon, uh, what are, like the proto photograph type things, pictures, the kind of iconic ones that we've seen of, of the slaves who heard their backs were just whipped into oblivion, you know, and seeing the conditions that some of the slaves and some of the States we're living in, which is not saying that I, I'm just saying it wasn't an equal distribution of punishment like that throughout all slaves, but it was still an equally, it was an equal reduction of human dignity, no matter what to, to own another man. And I think people don't, they remove themselves so far away because it's not like we have tons of abortion survivors who can talk about the fact that I was in the womb and I remember seeing that thing come in and try and get me and thank God somebody oh, stopped yeah, it. Point, yeah. You know, you don't have that eyewitness account. And mm-hmm. so really- the only people who who can even talk about it are the living. The only people who can care about it are those of us who were born. Yeah. I think Reagan said that. Like, uh, I don't yeah. hear anybody that hasn't been born uh, casting a vote on abortion or something like yeah. that. You know, and it, it's. Uh, I don't know, man. I wish I could. I wish I could have godlike abilities and peer into the human condition and see what on earth makes them think what they think and why they think what they think. And um, that's why I brought up the thing earlier because my my priest father Huffman he brought up. Uh, last Sunday at the homily uh, at St. Pete's, like how he was born in 66 and to a mom who was 18, who had a one night stand uh, with a guy. And all of a sudden she was knocked up and uh, 
she, she didn't have a choice. She had to keep the kid and take care of him. He lived in like a, a drawer, probably not much bigger than this one uh, for the first couple of months of his life. And, uh, and he was like, and here I am now. He's like, how many other babies were meant to be priests? And he was like, unfortunately, after Roe versus Wade, my mother did abort one of her children, you know, like, and so it is one of those, like, it's already so miraculous that you exist. And now since 1977 in America, it's even more miraculous that you exist, sadly. And, and um, so I don't know, that that's a, that's a hill to die on. And I think that a lot of people, once they realize that, everything isn't relative. Some things have to be true. Some things have to be evil. I think more and more people will find the appeal of the Catholic church, but we need to kind of like, we can't have our leadership and our episcopacy. I'm not name dropping anybody, you know, Father Martin. No, no name drops here, but yeah. (laughs) Actually, you know, affirm orthodoxy and affirm, you know, it should be one unified voice of the Catholic church saying, this is how it is. And we do have that in our magisterium and in our teachings, but we just don't have that from the people who are alive right now, you know, representing yeah. us. So that's the difficult point. Yeah. Is, is not having the episcopacy and having priests and, and I'm not saying everyone, but yeah. How do we, as the laity, um, lead that charge? I suppose, you know, when, when the, the bishops aren't actively leading the charge, um, yeah, I guess we got to take it on ourselves, I suppose. Yeah, keep educating ourselves. Put PhD in front of our name, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I know that a lot Steve of people Hill, say- Steve Hill, PhD. That's what I, I, I want to run for mayor in Toronto and have my campaign <laughs> have my campaign slogan be, the doctor is in, but I got to get my PhD first before I do that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, and, and um, I don't know, get out there and, and debate and argue and call people out. And I, I, I don't know, it just can't be such a, a passive thing. And I think that's why is people don't take it seriously because they don't think the faith is serious. They don't think it's real. And I think if they thought it was real, then they'd like, I'm saying like, if I really did think Santa Claus was real, dude, I'd be a good boy, you know, and I'd be waiting every <laughs> Christmas underneath that tree, you yeah. know, and I'd, if I'd know if I was going to get cold or not either. And if, if, if God exists and God is real and he became, or he is Christ and Christ started a church and that church has teachings that are objectively true because God is true and God is good then you need to just shut up and assent to them and fight against anybody who tells you anything differently. There's no, uh, I, I think that's knocked down and there's nothing. Hell else. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shout out to your buddy. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Damn, Steve, thanks for coming on the podcast, brother. I think it's going to wrap it up for us. Yeah, I'll be surprised. Uh, shouts out to the people who are still here. I, 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 <laughs> I hope out they're to still them. around. Yeah. Seriously. Ladies, I'm single. Ooh, Feel ready to mingle. To, uh, hit me up. We'll say some prayers together sometime. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to find Steve, he'll be at the Franciscan University of Steubenville or mm-hmm. in Toronto where you're where you're staying. Yes, I am the mullet man. I have a wonderful uh, uh, deaf leopard type mullet. I have tattoos, but don't be afraid of me. I'm very nice. And I got two As Kellen said, uh, the most badass looking guy on campus yeah, at the moment. <laughs> That's a trip to me, but it's flattering. I appreciate it. Oh, it's that. great. Brother, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. This yeah. is this has been awesome. I, I really enjoyed it. So thank you guys so much for listening and uh, peace out. If there's a Christian religion, then it's Catholicism or nothing. What politics actually is, art of people living together, orienting one another towards virtue. And the person was like, dude, flirting is the abortion of love. This is the most worthy, most exciting, most adventurous. Drop a nuke uh, on the Franciscan bubble. The Kellen and Alex Show.
That's all sound theology. God could have stopped it. If he Permissive wanted. will. That's right. <laughs> I don't know why God would allow something like that to go through. But then again, God allows God allows you to go to... on and on. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Truth, okay. <laughs>